Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Demet. Today's guest on the podcast is Tyson Shaney. Tyson is the head coach of the Vertical World Climbing Team and has been building an incredible team of world-class athletes for nearly two decades. Many of you listening to this will know Tyson as Drew Ruana's coach, and you'll hear us talk a little bit about Drew later in the episode. This episode is a little different in that I'm basically just publishing a two and a half hour phone call I had with Tyson from the phone ringing to when we hung up at the end. This was the first conversation I've ever had with Tyson other than sending some texts back and forth to get things lined up and we just went straight into it without any preamble whatsoever. No sound check, no briefing beforehand, nothing. I just answered the phone, we talked for two and a half hours and the whole thing was awesome. (laughs) So yeah. We talked about some of the challenges Tyson and his team have faced with the gyms being closed due to coronavirus and the ways they are adapting and making the best of the situation. We talked about Tyson's early climbing and coaching, about building the vertical world team and how he shapes world-class athletes, about qualities that make good coaches, his thoughts on competition and why he thinks it is so important for shaping his kids, not only as athletes, but also as people. Some of his thoughts and advice for adult climbers, and Tyson also shared some of his team's go-to drills that all of us can practice in the gym. This is the first episode featuring patron questions. You'll hear those near the end. Curious to hear what you guys think, and thank you patrons for submitting such interesting questions. If you'd like to have your question featured on the show, head over to thenuggetclimbing.com and click on the support the podcast button at the top, and you'll find the option to become a patron. There are a few other ways to support the show as well. You can buy a mug or make a one-time donation, or simply share your favorite episode with someone who hasn't heard the podcast yet. That would be awesome. Lots of nuggets in this one. Thank you so much to Tyson for such a great conversation, and thank you guys for listening. Please enjoy this in-depth conversation with Tyson Shaney. Hey, Tyson. Steven, how are you? Hey, I'm really good. How are you? Doing well. Cool. Sorry, for some reason my phone didn't ring with an unrecognized number, I guess. Uh, Not a problem. Cool. How's everything? Things are good. Yeah, things are good. I I climbed earlier today and had time to prep for this, and here we are. Nice. Nice. Where'd you go climbing? I'm down in Hood River right now. Um, Yeah. There's a a crag just west of here called Viento. Okay. Have you heard of it? I haven't. Yeah, it's it's really fun. It kind of sat dormant for a bunch of years and just got a resurgence like in the last three years and a bunch of roots have gone up and a bunch of 513s and wow. it, it's kind of like big blocky basalt, weird knee bar, almost kind of like volume style climbing. It's uh, it's awesome. pretty interesting. Yeah. I've, uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really good time. So I've, I've been living in... Um, central Oregon the last many years and have made a bunch Mm -hmm. of trips up here during the summer the last couple years. Yeah. And it's right on the gorge. So it's really windy. Yeah. 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 And North facing. And it's like actually a pretty, pretty awesome summer option. Like one of the best in the lower 48, I think. 
Wow. Yeah. That's killer. That yeah. That's killer. I think there's so many like little crags that at one point were discovered. Like I know yeah. up here, up, up here we've had a bunch of those and they're, like you just said, are getting a resurgence. Mm. Cause I think there's just so many people now that your local crag is just overrun. There's just so many people and it's like, right. okay, cool. Well, so the people who know are going to these little spots and they're, you know, seeking out, I seem to remember that there were some bolts at that place. Yeah. Let's go, <laughs> you know, let's go check it out. And, uh, I'm getting some pretty good reports from people now, especially with COVID where yeah. people are trying to not be around other people, but they're like, yeah, we went climbing at this spot. You remember this spot? And I'm like, oh my God, I do remember that spot from, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, uh -huh. you know, but, uh, <laughs> just didn't get a lot of traffic. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I think maybe tomorrow I might be going out. There's like two options, either with, uh, Sean Bailey or with Drew's dad, Rudy, who I've known nice. my entire life. Uh, and actually we may all link up and, but go to this one spot that's like kind of secret spot. No one's there, but there's, you know, 15 to 20 routes and, and, you know, it'd just be nice to get out because I really haven't done any climbing since this whole thing uh, okay. kicked off. I've been in the gym a little bit and a couple home wall situations, but, you know, I've been trying to, for the most part, do my part and stay stay here in the city and yeah. take care of what I can, you know. But to be fair, I've been out surfing a lot, so. Hey, I was going to ask, yeah. How, <laughs> you just got back, right? How was your surf yeah, trip? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's I, I go, we, we can do it in a day, you know, so it's, it's nice. just, if you go down to, um, go down to Olympia and take a right, Okay. Uh, you end up out at Westport, which is kind of the closest surf spot. And it's like two and a half hours out, but you know, it's, we've been going a lot. I've been going two, three days a week and you know, I'll go on Fridays with my wife. She's still working right now, but she takes Fridays off. And so we go do that on Fridays usually. And, uh, then I usually do one day early in the week when I'm not trying to pretend like i'm working uh -huh. but, <laughs> dude <laughs> i mean that's a that's a whole podcast in it in a, on itself uh -huh. <laughs> talking about all the climbing coaches around the country who are just going like what the heck are we gonna do oh you my know? gosh yeah i can't imagine yeah it's it's a bit of a i mean it's like the longest vacation you never asked for, <laughs> you know, and, right. you know, when we initially got this, it was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And then it settles in and then it's like, OK, this will be cool. Unemployment's working pretty good. And then it just gets to a point where, at least for us, at least for me, I know and I, I know a lot of coaches throughout the country. It's like we miss our kids, man. We want to be back there with them. And especially with all that's going on in the world, it's like we want them to be able to have that consistency of coming to the gym and climbing and hanging out with their friends and, and their support group. You know, it's, it's pretty gnarly up here. I think right now, you, yeah. just, you know, the kids are, are struggling for sure. Yeah. You know, and no way to really get there, get to them. So, yeah. What does, what does that look like? Are you making phone call, like personalized phone calls? Or are you sending out like online well, content or? Yeah. What we're doing is we're doing, uh, I'm just doing my general weekly emails, you know, and, uh, which are, I mean, for the first part, I'd say for the first, <laughs> it's crazy to say for the first few months that this was going on, yeah. um, it was, you know, real consistent, tons of content, just get them out there. Everyone's getting excited, you know, about staying fit in the house and, and doing those types of things. And, 
I think just like everyone else out there, it's like the most, I, I, I can't say that the motivation has gone downhill by any means, but it definitely is just like, Oh wow. Like this could be even a bit longer. And, mm. uh, you can only send out so many YouTube videos of people crushing roots, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit difficult, but we for sure are in contact with all the kids and, and, uh, a lot of them have home walls now. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> like, more than more than you would think <laughs> i guess like, i'm not su- i'm not surprised yeah. i've been amazed just you know following friends on instagram just how many right. really creative home walls are going up in bedrooms and you know oh, yeah. staircases oh, yeah. and all sorts of stuff we have you know a fair amount of families that this is basically what they're doing right they're competition rock climbing families and first thing like within the first week or so we started getting phone calls of like hey we're building a wall what do you think? And so, you know, my, my lead assistant or my head coach, uh, Alex Fritz is, you know, pretty in tune with all that. And he contacted all the, all the hold manufacturers and, you know, cause we're all root setters. So of course we know all these dudes still and was just like, Hey, can we get deals for all our climbing team kids? Hmm. And so he set, he set it up with X amount of climbing hold companies where the families can just order directly. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So they were getting holds sent to their house. They're getting walls built, you know, and there's been some pretty spectacular looking walls that would rival any spray wall uh, (laughs) throughout the country going up in Seattle in the in the kids houses, you know, or like their garage, couple outdoor ones, you know, with got roofs built on them. And yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. (laughs) That's very cool. (laughs) Yeah. Keep some hype. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it'd be amazing if you got to a point where you could give out kind of general or standardized training, you know, stuff. Cause every single one of your kids had a, a home wall to work with. Well, you know, we've had a lot of ask for that from the parents okay. where they're just, where they're like, you know, could we, we're trying to stay motivated with And of course we're giving out the, the information as we can, you know, to keep them hyped. But you know, the biggest thing is that I think for the most of the kids, you know, they've been on climbing team long enough. They know what to do. So it's, it's very simple for us to send them little blurbs here and there like, hey, these are the drills for the week. Go ahead and keep up on this. Mm. And, you know, at, at the same time, what we really have been focusing on, at least in the, in the beginning of it, was like, hey, this is a good good time to have some downtime. Mm. The reality is these kids are you know, training for competition climbing most months out of the year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it doesn't give them a lot of breaks. So, you know, and we've been sort of trying to figure this out, I guess, over the past few years and it, it works itself out, of course. And it's something that we, we are very dialed in on, but, you know, right now it was like, okay, take the time, relax. Hmm. Don't, don't worry so much about your hangboard. Don't worry so much about, you know, comps because there aren't going to be any. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and recover. And we had a lot of athletes, you know, that after Boulder Nationals were pretty wrecked, dude. Okay. Just, just like, all right. And it goes in waves. Some years we have, you know, very few injuries and some years we have, we have more. It just sort of depends on uh, the way the moons align, I guess. And this year we had, we had a handful of our top level athletes that needed a break for sure. And they were, they were welcoming it. And now most mm. of them are all, all injury free. And it's like, cool. Can we get started? so anyways yeah that's sort of been the deal it's been it's it's been a struggle but at the same time it's just like just like anything we can adapt to it and 
I think in, in competition climbing, you're training for adversity. Most of the time you have to hmm. be, be ready for everything that's thrown at you. And, uh, this is no different, man. It's sometimes the, that includes a global pandemic. Yeah, entirely. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, where I feel like, uh, the kids are coming through this quite a bit stronger and maybe with a different perspective. And I know us coaches and sort of the overall idea of the program in itself, you know, we have, we have some different ideas now on, on what we can do and hmm. what we may be doing in the next few years. You know, it's just, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's, it's opened all of our eyes up, you know, hmm. I'm sure there's not many people out there that can be like, cool, back to business as usual. Yeah. Right? It's like, ah, well, no. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I can relate to that myself. And I think I see that with a lot of people I'm talking to is none of us thought it would last this long, right? Like we all thought we'd be back to life as normal by now. And now it's kind of hard to keep that, that framework in your mind. It's like, Oh, the world might just be different from here on out in in a lot of ways. Totally. I think the one thing we need to remember, and I, at least I keep telling myself this every, every morning is that, you know what, it's been five months. It seems like forever. It's been close to five months, you know, seems like forever, but the reality is, you know, it's only going to be a few more months before we, uh, hopefully, right. I mean, as things go, I've got, you know, friends and family that are in the medical field and they're all like, dude, pretty much we're pretty confident that by, you know, by the end of the year, we'll have have some things figured out to yeah. where, you know, and that, and that's, you know, you hope that that's the case, but you know, the way statistics show and the way that vaccines go or just whatever, whatever you want to believe, you know, it's, it's, it just sort of seems like that would be the time. And then really it's only going to be a few more months. And, you know, my wife and I, we prepare for this sort of thing and we're in a fortunate spot where, uh, you know, she is still working and, and we prepared financially for something exactly like this. And, uh, we're lucky, man. So, hmm. A lot of the world is not, but, yeah. uh, you know, we were privileged enough to be in a position to take care of ourselves. And mm. although I'm kind of bored, dude, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird problem to have, but it's a very real problem to have. Yeah. You know, I know yeah. I've listened to uh, several episodes or several podcasts that you've done on other podcasts, interviews mm-hmm. that you've done. And, you know, a common thread that's really hard to miss is just how much how much doing what you do means to you how much purpose you derive from it and how grateful you are for that. And I'm sure that there's, you know, like an aimlessness that's coming with this for you, man. I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, it actually is like one, I I can honestly say the hardest thing to deal with. And, uh, uh, it, the kid, the kids, and it, you know, it sounds it sounds corny or whatever. It's not, but they, you know, they give me, you know, purpose. I feel like I'm needed. I feel like I have a, you know, a, a pretty significant reason because I feel effective for the kids and their families and and for what what we're doing. And I've been fortunate enough to feel that way for a very long time, and hmm. uh, you know, for close to twenty years. And now that that sort of it's not that it's been taken away. That's not it. You know, we're still reaching out every week and we're still talking quite a bit, but, um, uh, it's just, it's quite a bit different, you know? And, and I know there are a lot of kids on our climbing team that are, you know, they're, they're losing motivation for climbing, man, but it's not because the climate isn't there. It's because the situation has changed and they don't have that outlet that they need. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a lot of kids who I know are struggling with the, uh, 
current social climate with, uh, you know, and, and battling the ideas that they, that they've had for a long time, uh, yeah. or, or whatever it is, you know, just, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, uh, the thoughts of, of what is going on in the world right now is hard for a young person. You know, I mean, hard for an old person, to be honest, it's hard for me. I struggle with it every day. And yeah, to have all that where you don't have your support group and, you know, you do as much as you can online, but at the same time, then you get sucked in online and that can be a dark spiral of, <laughs> of depression as well, you know? So yeah, I, I'm ready to get back to work now and I'm ready to, uh, get back to the kids, uh, you know, not just for myself, but obviously for them and, and sort of, you know, continue feeling like we're making that difference every day at vertical world climbing team, you know, hmm. I'm excited for that for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so Tyson, some of my listeners will likely be familiar with you. And like I said, you've done other podcasts and I'll point mm -hmm. people to those or I'll, sure. I'll link those in the show notes if people are, are curious because they were all, I, I listened to all of them and they're really great. Awesome. I, I took yeah, a lot away. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for yeah, doing that. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it would still be great to have you kind of cover, you know, you were born and raised in Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, to a couple parents that climbed. And I think it'd be fun to hear kind of how you got started in climbing and then going to the first gym that opened in 87 and, and sure. how you kind of accidentally stumbled into being a climbing coach. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was born up here in Seattle, uh, born and raised. My parents were from the Midwest area and, uh, in college they were, they got turned on to the mountains and the outdoors and, and, uh, most it was the mountains really is is what it was um my dad was in uh and my mom were both uh in college in new york and my dad was you know go up to the schwangunks and stuff like that and and then i think maybe it was even his freshman year before he actually started climbing he went to you know like the grand canyon or something like that he, he grew up in columbus ohio and that was just a mind-blowing you know situation for him so uh, when they had a chance, they got out of the East Coast and the Midwest and and came out to the Northwest, where me and my brothers and sister were born. And they were already climbers for a bit, my parents. And, you know, we just spent every weekend outside doing something, whether it was uh, camping, you know, a lot of hiking, a lot of, you know, climbing as best we could when we were super young, uh, a lot of skiing in the winter. But then by the time I was maybe eight or nine or 10 years old, somewhere in there, it really started to take off. And we have a couple uh, outdoor artificial rocks here in, in the greater Seattle area where, mm. you know, we would go and practice. And this was before climbing gyms. So mm -hmm. is there one uh, at the UW campus? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So that was up in, they built that in 76. Okay. And that I was born in 76 and, and the, uh, my dad would take us there all the time because he was also uh, working at UW. So we were, we were around that thing quite a bit. And, uh, then the, uh, climbing gym opened in 87 and that was, uh, we really started going, you know, going there quite a bit, you know, our, our family, uh, as a group was there a lot. Um, you know, REI was, is from here. So that like the initial, the original REI was here. And I just, I was super into the gear, you know, if you're, you know how kids get sometimes they get <laughs> super obsessive on certain things and i was just super obsessed with gear and like the the uh, old rei was in this building and it had 
it was like all wood floors, like original wood floors. And you could smell like the oil that they would put on, the, put on the uh, leather hiking boots and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I still to this day can smell the old REI. And, oh, man. Uh, we would go in and, you know, my dad was big into the rock climbing, but he was also big into the mountaineering. Um, he happens to be a, uh, you know, he's a doc and he, his specialty is high altitude pulmonary research. And he was able to, you know, work in, well, in the mountains, doing research at high altitude on people. So he spent a ridiculous amount of time on Mount Everest, uh, a lot of time up in McKinley and mount, other mountains around the world, uh, just doing research on, on climbing athletes, but also just taking regular Joes up there and doing uh, a bunch of stuff. So he was big into the mountain aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And and the minute I started seeing sport climbing and like dudes wearing tights and stuff like that, that that's where I wanted to be. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like that was like mid eighties, late eighties. Okay. Uh, uh, and by eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety or something through those years, there was you know the scene started getting a little bit bigger here, and and uh, me and my brothers were pretty big into it at the time, and and then that just sort of continued. You had more of like a punk rock and kind of, you know, skateboarding and snowboarding disposition, right? Yeah, correct. I I grew up, uh, you know, all at the same time I grew up riding skateboards. And uh, then when snowboards came into play, that that was a thing, too. And, you know, they all sort of went went together. I mean, even in this day and age, you still see a lot of that sort of going together. But for me, it was like those niche action sports that really really hooked me. I mean, I still ran track and played basketball and, and, uh, played soccer and, you know, during the seasons and those types of things. But those were more like I did those because I enjoyed athletics, Mm. uh, climbing and, uh, skateboarding and snowboarding were more like the passion side of it. And, uh, then by midway through high school or so, it was more, my friends were snowboarding and we didn't really, there weren't kids climbing. You know, kids weren't climbing at the time. It was like literally me and my brothers and like a couple other friends like Kevin Newell, who still is climbing and and a couple other guys, Chris Widener, who was one of the other younger guys. But most of the other guys were, uh, you know, in their 20s. Uh So it was kind of hard, hard to, I don't know, when you're 14 years old, 15 years old, like when all your climbing partners are, are quite a bit older. Uh, it was hard to stay that motivated. So I gravitated towards, towards snowboarding more at that time. And I was competing early, uh, uh, climbing wise. And, you know, it was quite a bit different than it is now. And, um, I'd say, yeah, mid high school is when I sort of stopped and then got back into it in my early twenties, like full bore 110%, uh, back into climbing. Gotcha. So that's when I started working at the gym. And I think maybe I've mentioned this in a, another podcast, but it was like the guys at the gym, you know, they had a sort of climbing team where each team in our gyms, we have multiple gyms and Vertical World uh, Seattle had a group of like 10 kids and Vertical World Redmond had a group of like, you know, six kids or something like that. And I was working in the, in the Redmond gym and the coach just happened to be leaving. And so they said, Hey, will you go ahead and, and run the, uh, run the climbing team just for a minute until we find someone else. <laughs> and then 20 years later, <laughs> I'm still here doing the thing. And it, it yeah. really was, it was one of those, it, I just connected man, like right away. And Interesting. What I, yeah. What I, 
I think what it was, was I saw a lot of those kids, a lot of myself in those kids. And when I was young, trying to be hyped on climbing and training for climbing, you know, and competing at climbing, uh, there was no real support group for the kids. There was no support group for me. There wasn't a team. There wasn't that sort of thing. You know, it's like climbing was very individual, you know, as it still is, but the team concept just didn't exist. Hmm. And I was very into being sort of parts of a group. You know, it's like when you go snowboarding, you're with all your friends, right? When you go, you know, you're at the skate park, you're, you're with all your friends. You know, it's like we would hang out at the skate shop and that was where your clubhouse, that was where all the bros hung, hung out, you know, that type of thing. And with climbing, it's like, yeah, you would hang out at the gyms, but the reality was everyone was older, mm. right? So when climbing team came on, I, I was just like, dude, this is exactly what I needed at that time. So I'm going to make this, you know, as best I can, I'm going to take this on. And, and I'd say within the first, man, like the first few weeks, I recognized, okay, cool. I'm going to do this for a while. And then, you know, within the first few years, I was like, Ooh, man, this, like, you know, this is just working at the gym. Maybe I'll move on. I was in, I was in my mid twenties and you know, you don't really think you're going to stay at the gym for the rest of your life in your mid twenties, <laughs> you know, or sure. at least back then, back then you didn't. And, right. uh, you know, these days, a lot of people, it's a, it's a good career choice, you know, if, right, yeah. you know, if you're thinking about it and you put some time in and the gyms make good money and, and, uh, they're able to pay good salaries and, and stuff like that. And, and it takes pretty, you know, significant amount of work to move your way up at the gyms. Uh, back then it was like just a bunch of dudes in their twenties or younger and the manager who was like 30, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, that type of thing. So yeah, that's sort of how it started for me. Uh, and within the, the first year, I had seven kids. And then by the next year, I recognized we needed to bring all the vertical world climbing team gyms together as one team and sort of took it over from there. And maybe we had 15 kids. And then the next year, it was like 25 and then 35. And then it jumped like significantly up to somewhere around 70. And then we also had a bunch of gyms at the time. At one point, we had five gyms. You know, and they were all super close, like super. So we just ran it kind of as one team with sort of the same coaches. And I would go in between that type. And same way we do it now, but we only have three gyms. Uh, Mm. But back then with five gyms, it was a little bit harder. But we, you know, we had a lot of kids. And right now we have about 100 kids on climbing team between, uh, well, technically two gyms. Our third one just opened. So, Hmm. yeah, it's been pretty cool. That's amazing. I've. I heard you talk, I think in one of the podcasts I listened to, you know, you were talking about how, and I'm sure it's readily obvious for people listening, like with all the energy that you're putting into that many kids, it's obviously taken away from your own climbing. And it sounds mm-hmm. like you were competing for yourself when you first got into that, right? Like back, sure. was that like 2002 or so that you started coaching? Yeah, I started coaching in 2002. And before that, when I was competing, it was early, early, like I think the last comp I did as a kid, I mean, I still compete every year now, but as a, as a kid, I was, I think it was like 93, 92, 93, something like that. Yeah. And then didn't compete at all until, uh, early two thousands Okay, for myself, for myself anyways. Was that ever hard at all when you took on that coaching role and recognized it for what it was? to realize that like, okay, I'm going to have to put my own climbing aside to some extent, kind of put it on the back burner. Was that, did you feel like you could do both or did it feel like you were making that, 
that sacrifice? And was that ever a hard question? Initially, I didn't really, I thought it would be a problem. Like that was one of, one of the first things I told the gym guys when they were asking me to do it was just as long as it didn't get in the way of my climbing okay. is, what I, is what I told them. But at the same time, what it did was it helped keep me motivated. Hmm. You know, it, it helped it time wise. It wasn't because at the time I was still root setting, you know, full time and working, you know, five as a full time job at, at the gym. So um, practice was really I mean, we only ran practice two, three days a week at the most at the time. Uh, and comps on the weekends and, and that sort of thing. But it was like being around the kids and climbing with the kids every day. Cause that, that was something that I, I always did. And to this day, I still do for the most part, uh, just climb with the kids and, and it helped me stay motivated for myself. So for a very long time, I was able to just keep climbing. And, and I mean, I'm still climbing now when the gyms are open, I'm still climbing five days a week. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, one of those things where I feel like if I'm not climbing with, the, with, the kids, I'm sort of, I'm going to lose touch. And obviously that's not always the case for everybody, but for me personally, I still need to have a pretty good idea of what's going on with my body for me to be able to then be good for everybody else. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys who's going to go and coach baseball having never really played baseball. Uh Right. It's not, it's not like that. So I feel like, you know, initially I did worry about it, but ultimately what I, what I recognized was that it was, it was nothing but a motivator for me. And, and it gave me a pretty good idea of what it's like to try and be that elite and uh, that elite athlete. And because I could see it in them and it helped me with my performances as well. Oh, wow. Uh, You know, on it, on and off the rock, you know, that type of thing. So it's really just sort of having an understanding of what it means to try and be an elite you know, you watch a 15 year old who's trying to be an elite and you're actually going to learn quite a bit. Hmm. And then you, then you try and help that 15 year old try and be an elite. You're going to learn quite a bit too. So hmm. it's, you know, I'm learning a lot from them. Just, I mean, just as much as they're learning from me, that that's always been the case. It's a, it's a give and take for, for all of us, for sure. Hmm. Do you think you've gotten farther with your own climbing than you would have otherwise if you'd kept all that energy for yourself? Mm, no. Okay. No, I, I don't. I, I, I think because the, the choice to put all of my energy into the kids, uh, was an easy one for me, Yeah. you know, but also recognizing what it takes to be elite and recognizing who I am as an athlete and what my potential is. And as an athlete, I didn't put 110% into myself as an athlete mm. mm-hmm. is, is more my point. I put more of that energy into the kids and building the climbing team and to be, I guess, to get to your potential. Cause I mean, you know, you can, you can sit there with any, any person out there and you ask them if they've gotten to their potential or whatever, a whole bunch of them are going to say, Oh yeah, for sure. But the reality is most of them have not. Mm. And you know, it, it, have you pushed yourself to where you're physically you know, the best that you could be ever. Did you more to the point, did you take the time to get to your potential physically? And if so, did you also take the time to, you know, do the mental side of it that is, you know, all the way through, like to the very edge? I mean, for me, it's like, I just know I never, I never did that. Hmm. You know, I've gone, I've gone as close as I can. And I like to, to have that idea you know, because I have, I feel like I have an, a, a pretty good understanding of what that means. Okay. Um, but 
I know that that for sure I wasn't able to put the the amount of time in to get myself to where I could have been, I guess. I mean, and I've climbed hard grades and, and done that type of stuff too, but I always, at least up until recently, I thought I could even get better, but now at 44 years old, I'm just like, oh man. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that's real hard now, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to put you in touch with Bill Ramsey. Oh, I know all about him. <laughs> I know all about him. Yeah. I know, man. It's think, easy to uh, cherry pick that guy, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Maybe there's something to it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of people are, they can get a lot farther than, than they think they could hmm. if they're just willing and, and ready and able to put the time in. Uh, hmm. If they, you know, if they have a, a standard, you know, a, ability to be athletic and, and those types of things. And, you know, there's there's very few people out there that are going to be, you know, one of the greats, but a lot of people can be real good, hmm. you know? And, uh, I don't think a lot of people recognize that actually. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have certainly touched a lot of lives and shaped a lot of amazing athletes. So it's, it's uh, pretty cool to see what the path that you chose has, has led to. Sure. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, you know, I wouldn't trade it. By any means. I mean, it's like if if I could have told myself that I would have climbed 515 and not been able to work with the kids, no way, dude. That's not. Hmm. Five, That's five, awesome. <laughs> 515 gets gets forgotten. Uh-huh. This, the, this, in my mind, anyways, for me and and you know, it's like with these kids, it's like the 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 way that we're able to to really help them through the most formative years of their lives, man. It's like that stuff never goes that that stuff never gets forgotten hmm. you know so i was listening to a conversation that you had on, on one of those podcasts honestly i don't even know which one it was but you were mm-hmm. talking about you had a really interesting perspective that you shared on the importance of competing of having the kids compete mm-hmm. it's always been interesting to me that all these kids teams are built around competition climbing Mm-hmm. Like I've always thought, like, what if all these kids just trained specifically for outdoor goals? Like, that'd be really interesting. But listening to you kind of changed my mind about that. I'm like, oh, wow, these mm-hmm. I, I kind of didn't realize I hadn't thought through the thought experiment of like what these kids are getting out of learning how to become competitors. Can you speak to that? I can. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've got a secret for you. We are training for outside climbing under the guise of training for competition. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, it's that for kids, right. And this is like to, to speak on, on what I was thinking about earlier is how do you keep kids involved, right? How do you keep them hyped? How do you keep them from not falling out? If you don't, if you don't have a due date on the paper, how much time and effort are you going to put into that paper? Hmm. Right. Some people have, would be able to do it. No problem. But the majority of children out there, the majority of kids out there have so much going on that it's really hard to stay focused on certain aspects of their life, even if they think it's going to be good for them. Hmm. So with competition, what we're able to do, and this is, this is just one aspect and I'll, I'll probably touch on a couple here. What it does is it holds them accountable and it puts a timeline on their training. And with that, what it is, is that, okay, cool. You have, you have a comp in two weeks that is a local 
what are we going to do during that time for the next two weeks? Well, we're going to make sure we're prepared for the event, of course, because you try not to show up to events unprepared. But if it's just a local and it doesn't really mean that much, how are we going to structure your training? And so it gets them thinking about proper preparation, right, for the event and in turn down the line for the test that they have to take in school and in turn down, down the line the job that they're going to apply for. And in turn, down the line, the wedding that they have coming up and in turn, to, you know, just whatever you want to, however you want to put it, it, it basically allows them to think about proper preparation for certain things. Now, if we have a comp of consequence, for example, a regional or a divisional or a national or, or whatever it may be, then the preparation is generally a bit different. Um, it, it just sort of helps them to, again, it, it holds them accountable to the training that they've dedicated themselves to. Uh, it holds them accountable to the team. It holds them accountable to themselves. Those types of things to me are, are very important because I know for myself, when I was younger, it was easy for me to get distracted. And I didn't see the importance of certain things that were at the time very important. And it was because I didn't feel like I had that type of structure. I didn't have people holding me accountable for certain things. So, I, you know, just by seeing it in these kids, whether they had that or not, because obviously I'm not thinking, well, these kids would mess it up like I messed it up. That's not it. It's just that, cool, let's go ahead and help them in these aspects before it even becomes a thing. Hmm. And so when they're seven years old or eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, what do we do every Monday at practice? We talk about the comp that we prepared for and we competed at last weekend. And, you know, that continues. And next thing you know, by the time they're, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, the conversation is still the same, yet very different because the preparation is different. And, uh, you know, it, it puts a different level of importance as opposed to when they're eight years old. I mean, you should see the look on some of the kids at eight years old. It's like the most serious thing in, in their lives <laughs> at that moment is this competition. Right. But, oh, yeah. you know, all that being said, there's just like anything, there's some negatives to competition if it gets presented in my mind in the wrong way. Hmm. Right. And, and, you know, you can have, uh, I, I, what I've always liked about competition climbing is that it's not little league. It's not, you know, one of those things you see the pictures of the, of the dads and the moms on the sidelines screaming at their kids and those types of things do that for the most part, that's, you don't see that in competition climbing. It's all, it's nothing but a super positive, po positive atmosphere at the comps. And with that, what it does is it teaches a very positive outlook on competition in itself. Hmm. Uh, we focus on, you know, results to a degree, but mostly it's, we only focus on the results when it's time to focus on the results. Let's just say you're starting off with us and you're 11 years old. Well, a lot of the kids who are in your category started competing when they were seven hmm. or when they were eight. So what's the likelihood that you're going to come in and just start dominating the comp? Uh, it's pretty slim, right? And you can say that for any of the age categories. So first thing we talk about is we, we talk about uh, not worrying about the results until it's time to worry about the results. And sometimes that comes within the first few months. And sometimes that doesn't come for the first few years. Hmm. You know, we have, we have different expectations. We have different you know, goals that we've set for ourselves and, and whether that's making it out of out of the regional and that's their their championship, that's their Super Bowl, then great, cool. Let's go ahead and do that. And at the beginning of each season we work on goals and we have long term and short term and midterm goals and 
really, we want to make sure that they're realistic for the kids. And, you know, myself and, and the coaches that work with me are, are on the exact same page when it comes down to that. Because if some kid says, I want to be national champion and there's no way they're going to be national champion, we're like, all right, dude, that's great, man. That is a great goal. But, you know, that's not going to happen this year. So what do we got to do this year to put the pieces in place so that three years from now, four years from now, you can achieve those goals. Cause mm -hmm. the reality is, is that they can at one point or another achieve all their climate competition, climbing goals. You know, they really can, but you know, it takes time to, just like anything else. And I, I feel like with that, you know, the training, the, the scheduling, the, the commitment, you know, between themselves and the, and, and the parents, it really sets the tone for then, you know, down the line, really just being rock climbers, man, and going out and sending your projects and having fun with your friends and, and those types of things. And uh, as you've, you've seen as of late, you know, and I can use Drew and Sean and, and, you know, Quinn Mason and, and a lot of our other top athletes out there, it's like the reason that they're as successful as they are is very simply because when they were nine or 10 or 11 years old, all those little things were put in place. Hmm. And really they were just training to be rock climbers and, you know, they all happen to come from climbing families as well. And, and so it was, you know, one of those things, but you know, the goal is really just to build climbers and what it means to be climbers. And then the way to do that and the way to, uh, the catalyst for that is competition because initially that's what, that's what the kids understand. That's what the parents understand. You know, if you get a family who doesn't know anything about climbing, but they sure they know about competition, they know what that is. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty easy to explain that to them because maybe they played, you know, softball when they were a kid or something like that. So, hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I, I mean, I could talk for hours about the, <laughs> the, the benefits of competition, you know, for sure. But I think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I've competed in everything that I've done in my life. Uh, just even just to see, you know, I like how it, I like how it gives me a little bit of a test. You know, mm. if I've been work, if I've been working hard on something, I want to see, you know, where I'm at. And it, it, you know, let me also say that it's never, especially in the categories that I'm competing, if I'm running a race, I'm never necessarily trying to win, you know, the race it's, but I want to be able to hit my goal times and those types of things. You know, okay. if I'm, if I'm competing on, on snowboards still, which I do occasionally, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm really just trying to, trying to feel like I had a good performance. Cause that's what it comes down to is being able to perform to your ability you know, and that very rarely is that first place for me anyways, you know, and for, for a lot of people out there, because there really only is one first place, but you can get a bunch of people that were in fifth or fourth or 10th or 15th. And they're like, man, that was a great performance for me. Hmm. So that, that's what we work on. And that, that, that's where, you know, the results themselves, unless you're, you have the ability to win, we're not going to talk about winning. You know, it's not, it's not like that. It's like, if your goal and winning for you is 15th place, dude, that's, that's what we're going to work on, you know, <laughs> is making sure you're in that spot. I heard you make a really great distinction uh, in one of those, uh, those episodes I listened to as well. You said that your kids aren't really that competitive, but they're really good competitors. Mm, and yeah. I like, I liked that just the way you framed the culture. I thought that was really cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I truly believe that. 
I've believed that for a long time because you see, you know, to be an elite and to be one of the best, you have to be fairly competitive, right? But the overall group, right? The overall team, the the methodology behind it is is that, dude, first and foremost, you've got to be able to compete. You can be the most competitive dude out there if you want, but if you don't have the skills, you're not going to get there, right? So what do we got to do? And you can be the most fit. You can be the most mentally sound. You can be whatever it is, but until you learn how to compete and, and uh, execute under pressure, man, it doesn't mean anything. And you have a bunch of athletes out there that compete really, really well. And I like to think that a lot of the kids on vertical or climbing team compete above their actual ability level. <laughs> That's and, really cool. And that for us is, it feels cool, man. It's, it makes us as coaches and program directors like feel, feel pretty successful uh, in that sense. And, you know, we also have a few, of course, just like every team out there, kids who compete below their ability level, like, ah, man, they, they climb so hard and like dominate this, 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 and this in practice or, you know, out at the crag or, it just whatever it is and they just can't compete their way out of a sack you know and mm. and that's normal too but we don't have that many of those because i think we just you know we look at what they need to be better competitors and then we focus on that and each one gets their own individual sort of program when it comes down to that we i, I like to think that it's something that we really focus on and uh, just having an understanding of our athletes and as I think you know, most of the coaches on the climbing team uh, grew up on our climbing team. And so they sort of have that understanding of, of what it uh, what it means to be a competitor. But also they recognize themselves in the in the kids and what they've gone through because a lot of them went through the exact same things. And, hmm. and uh, you know, so I, I like to think that, the you know, for us to be good for our kids, we've got to have a really good understanding of the athlete themselves and what works for them and which triggers uh, get them to where they need to be. You know, if someone's crying in the corner because of something, what do we got to do to bring them back so that they can, so that they can perform that day? Or if someone's, you know, overhyped and, and whatever, you know, they had four Red Bulls before the comp for some reason, you know, what do we got to do to bring them back? <laughs> uh, so that they can actually perform to their ability level, you know, that type of thing. So. That's great. I want to dig into something specific with that. So you and I connected through Drew Ruana. Mm-hmm who is one of your athletes. And if anyone doesn't yep. know, he's, you know, becoming one of the best climbers in the world <laughs> already is one of the best <laughs> climbers in the world. He's just crushing yeah. it. He, he is doing the thing right now. That's for sure. Yeah. So he was on the podcast and he told a story about a time working with you when he was going through a growth spurt or no, uh -huh. he, he hadn't yet really gone through a big growth spurt. He was still pretty short and he just kept having a really hard time at comps because he was just coming up short of these reachy moves. And there was, it sounds like there was like a two year period where you went out of your way to set boulders for him almost every day that were just out of reach. You measured yeah. his arm span and, and you would set a boulder that was just a little bit longer than that. Yeah, And I've heard you talk about how important it is for you to keep things fun, you know, with, with all your kids and to make sure that yeah, they stay sure. motivated and have a good time. Yeah. And I was really curious with that because it sounds like it was miserable for Drew, but he kept coming <laughs> back. And I was curious, like, what was it that you recognized in him that allowed you to know that that was the right thing to do for him? Sure, sure. Um, 
You know, it, just to put this out there first, it, it isn't just specific to Drew. Uh-huh. What it is, is that particular instance was specific to Drew. And okay. with all of our athletes, there's certain things that they need. And we will do whatever it takes to make sure that they get it. And, and it, on that particular case, you know, one, myself, you know, I, w- I was a root setter for a very long time up until recently. Uh, the head root setter at the gym for a very long time and, and, you know, set tons of comps. And, you know, my guy, Alex Fritz, has been a phenomenal root setter. All of our coaches over the years have been root setters or at least learned how to root set and, you know, set at the gym, that type of stuff. Uh, I feel like it's very important to be able to create movement and understand movement and, and those types of things. So it actually makes it pretty easy for us to set specifically for the kids mm. uh, while setting for the members at the same time. And oh, cool. Yeah, it, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and be like, hey, how are, how are you making sure that it's, you know, still cool for the members, you know, that type of thing. And I'm like, dude, the reality is if you're setting good stuff for the kids and quality stuff for the kids with maybe a few extra feet here and there because uh, they're short, then, you know, it's good for the members too, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, in this particular case with Drew, you know, I've known him since he was very little. I've known his dad since I was, you know, a, a young teenager. And we got Drew on the climbing team when he was about nine years old. And knowing his dad and his mom and, and Drew himself, they were all very short, you know, fairly short uh people um and so drew at the time he was getting reached out on Mm -hmm. a lot of comps he was very good he was you know uh technically you know better than most but he was incredibly short and so he really accelerated outside he was you know i'm sure you've you've seen or heard you know the grades that he was putting down at a very early age outside i think i Um, met him at smith when he was 12 did you? Yeah. And he was probably, you know, he was already climbing 514. Yeah. I watched you know, him climb at, Mr. At Yuck or something. Yeah. Right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's just because there's extra feet. Right. And he's grabbing things that no one else would be able to grab you mm-hmm. know, stuff like that. Um, but in competition, that was often not the case. And there was one particular event where he couldn't reach the start holds. Like he was in, it was either in the semi or the final and he, dude, he couldn't reach the start holds on a boulder and, you know, obviously it was like total heartbreak for this kid. It was heartbreak for his family and, you know, all those types of things. And I think right then and there, it sort of clicked for me where I was just like, dude, we're going to have to get you to climb. You know, and when you can't reach the start holds, you can't reach the start holds. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the biggest difference that most of the kids in his category had was that when they were maxed out, they still were able to have a bend in the bend in their elbow. Right. Or, or, or at least engage their wrists. Well, Drew himself, first of all, was maxed out most of the time with no bend in the elbow and no, he, he could barely engage the wrists or the shoulders or anything like that because of his, he's tip to tip like most of the time. So for two things we had to do is we had to work on, first of all, his shoulder stability and his, his ability to work with weight at a maxed out position. So, um, you know, just little weights, you know, hold them out x degrees and and you know not to go into too many specifics there but but basically what we would do is we would max him out with his wingspan mm-hmm. and then put put tension okay you know, at, at that point you know in the gym itself and then he started he actually you know we we worked on a weight program and those types of things when he was old enough and and it wouldn't really affect his body that much or or run the risk we did a lot of body weight stuff it, 
at a certain point to make sure that he had that type of development. But then to be able to actually execute it, we had a ton of boulders. Anything we would make up like on spray wall stuff, it was always maxed out. But I would also set specifically hard sport routes and hard boulders. And a lot of our guys in the gym would do the same thing too, to make Mm -hmm. sure that we'll get him this time. And the trick was to get him without outreaching him. Right. Because when you have the strong kids and it's like we, you know, going all the way back to 2002, we've always had super strong kids. And in the Seattle area, the strongest people in the area have always been, for the most part, the kids that have been on climate team. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we've always had great strong climbers around the area for sure. But at one point or another, the kids always start outperforming most of the guys by the time they're 15 or 16 years old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the trick or what we would think about at the time was getting you know, stump injury. Oh, don't worry. He's not gonna be able to do this one, you know? And, (laughs) but the test as a root setter was to do it to where he wasn't, where it was just that he couldn't reach it. Okay. Cause that, that's the easy way. Right. So anyways, it was good for me and good for our root setters, but it was also at the time it was, it was very specific to making sure Drew was able to perform when he was maxed out. Because even though the guys at at a national or guys and gals at, at the national uh, you know, they knew his measurements and all those types of things. They'd be like, don't worry, he can reach it. For sure, he can reach it, of course. You know, he he rarely, you know, a few times for sure got like reached out. But the difference being is that if you were a little bit taller, if you were two or three inches taller or even an inch taller, you could engage your shoulders and your wrists and your elbows in ways that Drew couldn't. Hmm. So he had to climb fully maxed out. And that's how that that's what we did specifically with the, those types of routes and and that type of thing. And it, and it was miserable for him for sure, man. It was like, it wasn't fun and it's not, you know, but it also, it also got him to, to a certain level and, you know, he won some championships and, and those types of things. And one thing that he did retain from all of that was that he still was able to climb like a short person. And Mm. the, the short people tend to climb technically just way better. They're right. better on their they're better on their feet, better with their positioning, better, you know, on a lot of things because as a if they're if they're tall young, they don't really have the time to develop that because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Right? Where the young short ones, you know, Sean Bailey was super short. You know, he's still only five six, but he was like, you know, super short up until he was like eighteen years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Drew Drew was about the same, you know, sixteen, seventeen years old and a lot of our, our best females have been super short as well. And most of our best guys have been super short. So it, it's just, you know, because they learn how to be better because they have to at an early age. How did you know that wouldn't break him as far as like his spirit? How did you know that it wouldn't make him just throw his shoes in the garbage and walk away from climbing team? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, for one, it, it's the Ruana family themselves it's just it's not really a thing (laughs) yeah you know it's like they're you can sort of push as far as you know i'd like to say you could push you know as close to the edge as you possibly can and and with drew that is entirely true yeah but again this goes back to understanding your athletes and with drew i'd known him since he was young and by that time he'd already been with us been with me for six years Hmm. so i had a pretty good understanding of of who he was and as as an athlete and don't get me wrong there was a lot of time where drew was just like no i'm doing my own thing and i 100 signed off on that Hmm. like cool okay do your thing 
for sure. Because, you know, it comes, it comes down to a level of trust that he has in me, but also at the same time, you know, you got a 15 or a 16 year old boy who thinks they know everything. Sometimes you just got to let them think that for a little bit. And, (laughs) and then they end up coming back and, and, you know, coming to, to me for certain things. And the, the coach athlete relationship is always a two way street. Hmm. You know, it's, it's never do as I say or else. And in his particular case, it it was never like that. It was always like, well, dude, I think you should be doing this, but do what you want. And then sure enough, you know, come to sort of a, sort of a collaboration. And a lot of the time it's like, even, even this morning, I got a message from him and he's like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm like, cool. What you need some help. He's like, well, yeah, some ideas. Okay, cool. Boom. You know, and we, we start talking about it and he's, you know, out there climbing B-16 apparently every other week, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, he just sent box therapy for people. Yeah. I haven't, haven't seen so, that. Yeah. So gnarly, but I think it, it, uh, it, it comes down to knowing the athletes and we have certain athletes who are at a very high level and very elite. And I would not be able to push them to that level because okay. they, because they would pack up and go home. Hmm. And that's okay. But if, if they do pack up and go home, whose fault is that? That's my fault, hmm. right? Because I didn't recognize that ahead of time. I didn't recognize that. You know, you can you can want your athletes to be a certain way all you want. But the reality is, they're, at least in our case, they're still, you know, children. And they're still learning. And they're still, you know, those types of things. We need to know them. We need to adapt to them. As a coaching group and as leaders uh, in general, you need to be able to adapt to your group and you need to be able to adapt to your athletes to get them to perform the way that they need to perform on any given day. If they're not performing at the best of their ability, you can always trace that back to certain things that you as a coach or you as a team did incorrectly Hmm. or, you know, just not to the best of your ability, you know, that type of thing. That's the way I've always looked at it, at least. And and in his case, it's he just happened to be one of those ones that you can push super hard. And to be fair, mo- you know, a lot of the elite elites, you know, the best of the best, like they, they are like that. Right. That's what makes them. Yeah. Who they yeah. are. Yeah. Not all of them, but I, I would say a very high percentage, mm-hmm. a very high, very high percentage of, of the, the, the best of the best are just like that, where they'll do whatever it takes do whatever you say just you know because they they have a certain level of uh i don't don't know if the right word is masochism that's not it but you know (laughs) what i mean they're just like it's like all right they're they're hungry they're hungry for they're hungry yeah Yeah. for sure for sure he's a good example sean's a good example our our uh our good one of our good females right now quinn mason she's just like that too it's just like give me more work you know (laughs) (laughs) it's it's pretty cool it's pretty cool i'd love to talk to you about some of your coaches so uh, as you mentioned Mm -hmm. you have a lot of coaches working with you and and for you now um i'm sure they work with you i'm sure you would phrase it that way but um they come out of your program there a lot of these coaches are kids that grew up competing and training with you and other coaches. And I was curious if you've seen any commonalities in what draws certain kids to coaching or another way of asking the question is I'm curious if there's any qualities that you see in your coaches that turn out to be really good coaches that come from that same kid competition background. Sure. Sure. I think, I mean, for us, we've been doing it for like that for a while. I mean, it's a great first job, right? Hmm. You know, and a lot of these kids on climbing team, it's like they're not going, 
you know, to work at the grocery store because they don't necessarily have time, right? Or or whatever it is, because climbing team takes up a lot of their time and they're committed. And, you know, out of 100 kids, don't get me wrong, not every one of them is committed, you know, seven days a week, competition rock climbing. It's not like that. But, but the kids that are, you know, 100% committed to competition rock climbing and their families are committed, you know, I'd say it's, you know, anywhere around 50% of that group. Those are the types of kids who then come and say, hey, I'm interested in coaching. Hmm. I'd like I'd like to do this. And I'd like to think it's the because of the way the program raised them. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that a large percentage of them are uh, they just want to give back to the program and they, they like working with the kids and and that type of thing. And, you know, the when Alex Fritz was. 17 years old and i was talking about it what he was trying to do after high school is he looked at me and said well dude i just want to do what you're doing <laughs> and i was like ah man i don't know if that's a good idea you know <laughs> <laughs> it was like there's so much more out there you know what i mean but it was like the look in his eye was just like no man i'm in this is huh. what i want to do and and it's sort of like i had other kids that had been working with us at the you know at the time but it just sort of clicked on me and that, you know, he's been close to 10 years now, uh, coaching with us. And so, you know, this has been a significant amount of time where it's like, you know what, man, who's better. There's no one better than these kids to work with the other kids. And you, you see, mm-hmm. you see that in gymnastics programs, you see that in soccer programs, you see that in all these other uh, athletic programs that have this same sort of mentality of, of your born and raised on the team and who who better you know it's like they they know the ideas they they know the concepts of the team they they've been raised on the methodology so all of that stuff we don't need to teach right we don't we don't need them to um figure out that part of it and because they grew up competing and most of them you know at one point or another competed a fairly high level let's just say they compete in dcb and they're okay they don't make it out of a regional but at one point or another if you stay on competition rock climbing team like all the way until you're a junior you're going to make it out of the regional you're going to make it to the divisional and more than likely you're going to make it to the national Hmm. and to do that like you've had to have learned some things and you've got (laughs) to have a have a pretty good idea of how it works so you know it's pretty rare for us to put or actually i can honestly say we've never had one of our youth youth athletes come and be like, Hey, I want to coach and then have us put them there and have them just be terrible. Mm. It's like, it's not like that, you know, cause they get the kids, they all grow up together anyway. Okay, so yeah. even by, by the time they're coaching with us, you know, like when they're 16, 17, 18 years old, like the kids that are eight or nine or 10 or 11 years old that we put them with, like they're already training together a lot of the time, like, or they were the season before mm-hmm. or the season before that. So they're all very familiar with each other because we run practices for the most part at the same time. So the older kids are very familiar with the younger kids and the younger kids are very familiar with the older kids. And so they already have that bond as, as family. And, uh, it, it seems to work really well. And, uh, you know, it, to speak along the lines of specific traits, I, it's nothing that I really, because we're so familiar with the kids, it's nothing that I like instantly pick out. It's Mm. not like that, but of Mm -hmm. course they need, they need to have a lot of patience, you know, and they got to have a lot of understanding of the kids. You know, they, they've got to understand first of all, that they're not working with adults and a 12 year old sometimes is going to say something terrible. 
<laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're going to, you know, and they're get, they're going to behave badly. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I like to see in the coaches is I, is I like to see them be able to detach from that situation, you know, leave their emotions on the side from it and, uh, address the situation. Um, you know, whether it's, I don't want to work that hard today. Okay, cool. Well, what does that mean to you? Let's go ahead and work on this. And next thing you know, they're working harder than they've ever worked. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> um, you know, there, there are certain ideas that, that we like to implement that it's never, we don't really have behavior issues. That's not it. But the trick is that you've got to get people to work hard. And sometimes they just don't want to work hard, man. And that's okay. Cause sometimes I don't want to work hard either. You know, mm. it's like being able to maintain that, that hundred percent at all times is like pretty, pretty hard to do. So, you know, what do we got to do when someone's only 60% that day? Man, we, we get them to work at 60%, but we got to make it a little bit more fun and we got to give them some reasons. Uh, we got, we got to know their triggers. And a lot of the kids have already sort of been through that. You know, if you're growing up on climbing team, you've already been coached, you know, that way you've been coached your entire life. So they, I like to think that they take those, take those ideas and those concepts and they actually really sink in so that they know how to, uh, implement those with their young athletes. Quinn Mason, who is uh, with us and she's a really good competitor, uh, has been since she was young. She's now, you know, one of our up and coming fantastic coaches. Hmm. Uh, and she, she works with our young ones and she is phenomenal with them. She comes up with the programs and, and the, the ideas for them and, and those types of things. And, you know, cause she was them the same way that Alex Fritz was, you know, them as well, the same way that, you know, Aiden Slavin, who's working with us now, the same way that, you know, Shannon Russell, who uh, at one point was a you know top level climber in the country. And, and, you know, she coached with us as well. And, you know, even Sean, when Sean's around, dude, he works with the kids. He's in there all the time. He hmm. loves it, you know? So it's when you grow up on climbing team, you have a pretty good idea of what it means to be on climbing team. So it's pretty easy to hand over the whistle and, and be like, Hey, just go ahead and take those kids because they they've all been a part of it for so long that it's it's easy for them to do and it's it teaches them some things it gives them some a sense of ownership that uh that different sense of ownership they all feel like they you know have a sense of ownership there but you know it's it's a different sense of ownership like i'm giving back to the program that type of thing and now that's just stuff you can't pay for as a as a coach as an employer you know, as a boss, you mm-hmm. just can't pay for that. That being said, I also, I've also had some phenomenal coaches that didn't grow up on our climbing team too. Okay. For sure. So. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. I was, uh, I was hoping we could transition at this point. I want to cover some of the things that you've learned through coaching or that you've, that you do with your kids that you think would benefit adults. <laughs> um, there, there's a few different things I want to dig into with that to see if listeners can take away some things for their own climbing and training. Sure. You talk a lot about repetition, especially mm-hmm. in those early years, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, when these kids are just new and they're just learning the skills of climbing and learning right. movement and stuff like that. I've just heard you talk about repetition generally, but I'm curious what that looks like with your kids. And sure. You know, a lot of adults that start climbing as adults have pretty similar stories where, you know, they just end up in the climbing gym somehow or another or end up outside and they love it. They get hooked and they just climb a lot for several years and then maybe they, you know, become interested in training. 
but I'm curious, you know, with what you focus on as far as repetition with your kids, are there any things that maybe a lot of us adults have missed in our process of engaging sure. in climbing starting later like that? Sure, sure. I I think one of the one of the biggest things people lack when they first start climbing is uh, they lack patience. Hmm. It's one of those things that you know climbing is pretty hard and it's hard on your body and it's it's you know you can get strong real quick but it doesn't mean you're going to be a good climber and i think if if for for the kids and just let me let me speak on them real quickly as, as to why it works and and what the concept is there when when i talk about repetition it's just basically repeating movement over and over and over again and what we're trying to do is we're trying to get them to to get as many moves in, in, in a day, you know, not with a, with a tracker or anything like that, you know, but it's, it's just a lot of wall time, uh, with, to be fair, like a little bit of correction, you know, here and there, but for the most part, when they're seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, when they're doing tons of moves, they're learning every single time they're climbing. Hmm. And then it's, then it's creating, like, they're just going to adapt, you know, how their body should be doing the movement. They're, they're, uh, learning just by doing it. Right. And I think like anything you're out there doing, and, and I, I still apply this to every new activity that I take on, it, it really just comes down to reps and, you know, doing it over and over and over and over again. And by the time I have a thousand reps at the driving range with my, you know, with my nine iron, generally I'm going to have a pretty good idea of how that should work. Hmm. Right. Uh, you know, climbing, climbing is the exact same thing. And so, you know, when they're young, we're, we're doing that and, you know, that sets the tone, you know, gives them a base, a uh, movement base, understanding of body, you know, positioning and body awareness, those types of things, uh, so that we can really start doing some other work. With adults, I actually don't think that I would do much different. You know, the hard, the, the, not the hard part, excuse me, the, the main difference is that as an adult, you already have, if you're an athlete, you already have a pretty good understanding of, of body awareness and movement and like how your body should work. Then you get on the climbing wall and it feels very different. <laughs> right. And, and so you, you see this happening with a lot of adults is they're overpowering with their upper body. Generally the, the men are doing it that way. You know, the women are always in my mind, whether it's the children or in the adults, the women are always way better climbers right off the bat. Hmm. And it's because they're focusing on certain other aspects, right? They, they use their mind a lot more. And this is, of course, taking a stab at most guys out there. Dude, not, we're not that smart, man. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's just, you know. It's I'm like, not going to argue. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, like this should work. This, you know, <laughs> circle should go in the square, you know, whatever, that type of thing. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it. What I would do with an adult always is I'd be like, cool, you're just starting climbing. Let's get an idea for this. And then we'd spend a couple of weeks, like just climbing, right? Just, you know, getting the basic, basic movement principles down. But then ultimately for adults, it would be like, all right, cool. Now for the next <laughs> two months, you're just going to traverse the gym. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, yeah, man, no one's going to do it. It's so boring. And it's just like, you know, but I personally, myself, having, you know, during injury have spent thousands of hours traversing. Hmm. 
And what it does for you, man, is it just ends up teaching you about positioning, about not overgripping. About I mean, the list is infinite on what it does for you. Different movement styles, different ways to grab holds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just all the basic principles that you as a climber already know, but but it took some time to get there. The fastest way to do it is to just check your ego. Don't worry about grades. Don't worry about going to the top of the wall. Don't worry about, you know, bouldering V6 in the first six months. Don't worry about that stuff. Just traverse the gym, you know? Uh, and I, you could even say get on autoblay and do that quite a bit. But honestly, I think then you're still focusing on the up. And because of the autoblay itself, it's, you know, it, it kind of pulls you a little bit, takes mm. a little bit of weight off. You climb a little bit differently. If you've noticed that, it's like, it's, I mean, even myself climbing my entire life, I get on an autoblay and I climb differently. And mm -hmm. so I, I truly think that, that traversing the gym, traversing in the bouldering room, just moving around spray walls, stuff like that, that's really the, the fastest best way to teach yourself how to climb you're also going to be getting the fitness by holding on for a long period of time hmm. and i think you know most people lose the patience to actually have climbing fitness because you find strength gains so quickly if you're just bouldering mm. right like you know you're bouldering and then you're climbing v3 like pretty quickly and next thing you know you're climbing v5 pretty quickly and and that type of thing. But why is it that when you're climbing V5 or V6, you can't even climb 11A, you know, that, <laughs> that, that, that type of thing. So I, I feel like with the kids, you know, it's like we do all that. We do the repetition for, for many reasons. One, just rounding out the athlete, but building the base, building the, you know, the structure that will allow them to perform in all aspects of climbing hmm. and all styles of climbing for the most part. Uh, and I think that adults potentially you know right off the bat it's like they're they're just not really thinking of those simple concepts right mm. when really all it is is simple concepts man it's just it's just movement and uh you know taking the time and having the patience to do that that's that's the way i look at it and a lot of a lot of adults just don't really have that type of type of patience i, I used to work with a, an adult group and you know so many of them were were like you know, they'd come in two days a week and uh, sort of, you know, expect the world, that type of thing. Hmm. And it's like, it's like, man, that's not how this works. And, you know, it's kind of, I guess, enlightening once you figure that out, because really you can spend most of your days in the gym just traversing and doing easy climbing and focusing hard one or two days a week. And, and you're going to see those gains as long as you have a bunch of easy days in there, too, you know. Yeah. Would you still recommend that for an adult who, let's take me for instance. So I've mm -hmm. been climbing for, I started when I was 18 mm -hmm. and I'm 31 now. So, you know, okay. a little over 12 years, Yeah, sure. um, maybe 12 and a half. And, you know, I've climbed a bunch of E10s and I've climbed a couple 13 Ds and trying to break nice. into 514. Is, is that still like a worthwhile piece of my overall climbing and training pie to enter in that like really simple repetition of traversing i oh i think it's always beneficial okay um when you're climbing when you're climbing at those grades that you just mentioned like you've you already have a lot of the the skills necessary to like you already climbed 514 and potentially just haven't climbed 514 yet <laughs> right so so what it is is that there's for the most part you there's a whole bunch of boxes that need to be checked and you have a whole bunch of those already checked but there's a few little simple things that probably aren't checked yet hmm. that are not necessarily holding you back. I'm assuming, you know, you've got at 31, dude, you're not even peaking yet. 
You know what I mean? You have, mm-hmm. you have it, you know, at least another five years till you're like, you know, especially in sport climbing, if we're talking about sport climbing, you know, boulders is boulders as well. You know, you can, you can still continue to get those gains until you're my age and then you're terrible, but uh, <laughs> you better do it now. Uh, no, but um, you know, it, it really to round yourself out. What it is, is you've got to find figure out the things that, that are holding you back a little bit. Like, you know, am I technically not as good as I could be? Am I not climbing as efficiently in my mind? Like efficiency in climbing is one of the most important things, whether it's competition or uh, just general outside climbing. Are you pulling too much? Uh, are you pulling when you don't have to that Hmm. type of thing? You know, you should generally be climbing with straight arms as, as much as you possibly can and only pull when you have to, you know, if, if you're climbing three fingers to only use certain muscle groups and then throw the forefinger and a, and a thumb wrap in for the crimp to, to execute the harder moves, that type of stuff. Interesting. Um, You know, there's a whole bunch of different ways to climb more efficient and in hard sport climbing, it really comes down to like, if you climb V10, you already have, you know, the strength to climb 514 all day. Right. But it's a matter of being able to execute those movements, which generally at, you know, 14A, 14B, the moves, you know, I mean, you might find some V9 in there, right. Mm-hmm. But, but you're not maybe some V8, but gen- sometimes like not even, totally. you know, not even, you know, a lot of time it's just, you know, a bunch of V7 moves, which, you know, generally you should be able to eat up all day. But it, it comes down to being able to do a bunch of those. And every route's different, of course. You know, that's just sort of a blanket statement there. But um, being able to climb more efficiently, have the stamina to be able to execute hard movement when you're, you know, 30 meters off the ground. Those are the types of things that a lot of people are lacking when it comes down to climbing hard sport routes. Mm. I've, seen a, I've seen a lot of people be able to climb 514 without really being able to climb uh, much harder than V6. Wow. You know, it, it, yeah. beca- because of their ability to hold on for long periods of time, they train power endurance, you know, tons of circuits on the, on the spray walls, uh, those types of things. I mean, circuiting is in my mind, circuiting on spray walls is, is probably one of the best ways to, um, you know, get yourself up there in hard sport climbing. Okay. That, being, that being said, I also feel like it's very important to make sure that you have that rope time you know, being comfortable on a rope, you know, not thinking about rope climbing while you're rope climbing, being more efficient, fluid, you know, all those types of things, making sure your clips are right, you know, what, whatever, just the, you see, and you watch, you know, really like you watch world cup at all. I'm, I'm assuming you do it at one point or another Yeah. there. You, you watch someone like Jakob sport climb, mm-hmm. right. And then you see someone like Tamoa sport climb and often they get to the same spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But who's the real sport climber, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, Jakob all day. And it's because his, his movement is almost perfect. His, he's more efficient than anybody. And he's just one of many of the guys out there and girls out there that, that climb so well on sport routes. And it's not because they're overly strong. He happens to be, you know, Jakob, of course, overly strong. And, and you know, Boulder's a, an incredibly insane level too. But when we're talking about Tamoa, who is like, so much gnarlier than most dudes out there on boulders right mm-hmm. he's able to power his power his way and climb his tomoa style through sport routes but that's not because he spends tons of time on a on a sport wall mm-hmm. it's because he he's sort of that next level of something else but you know i i feel like more guys out there and gals out there 
like the best ones are the ones who generally look the best. And the reason they look the best is because they're the calmest, they're most relaxed, and they climb the most efficient through through sport routes. Hmm. You know, boulders is a little different because, as you know, you can hold your breath for 40 seconds and you're <laughs> at the top. Yeah. You know, but um, you know that that's a that's a different ball game in itself. But yeah. So to answer your question, I I do feel like that concept is still very important, even climbing at a very high level. Okay. Um, the concept of easier movement for longer periods of time. Uh, in your particular case, you're trying to break through on something like that. It would, you know, you go to the spray wall and you set yourself up 25 to 45 move circuits uh, with, you know, Sean or Drew or, or any of our top athletes or gals as well. You know, you, we'll go in and we put up a, you know, a lot of the time it's just with a stick and we'll point, you know, say 35 moves, they have to remember the moves. I'll generally point it twice or whatever. With Sean, I usually only have to point it once. Wow. And he'll remember. Well, it's something that we worked on too. And, and yeah. you know, uh, it's, it's the ability to then remember the movement is also has a lot to do because especially in competition, you're training for on-site climbing, mm-hmm. right? So you've got to be able to remember the movement when you go out for the preview, that type of thing. Um, is that hands and feet or just hands? Uh, it depends on the circuit that we're putting up. Okay. So uh, sometimes we'll do, you know, all for feet and sometimes we'll do, you know, tracking. Sometimes, uh, we'll just say small chips or, or whatever it is, you know, that type of thing. Okay. Um, a lot of the time when they're training for the harder stuff, it will be a tracking situation. And the movement that I would be coming up with would allow for that where it's a lot of hand foot. And especially when you're training world cup style, uh, sport routes, it, if you notice, they're not putting a lot of feet on, so it's a lot of hand-foot match, mm. um, a lot of uh, uh, volume-style climbing on the sport wall. So that's sort of how the type of circuit that we would that we would um, I would set for them. And usually we would do one; they run through it once. If it's hard enough, they're not sending it right off the bat, and then rest for whatever eight to 10 minutes and then give it another go and try and send. And if it doesn't go in a couple goes, then we'll usually come up with another one. Okay. Cause really it's not about sending the proj necessarily. It's not about sending the circuit. It's about the work that goes into it. Uh, the attempts. Okay. That type of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I know that kind of, uh, you know, that really glycolytic output is some of the stuff that requires the most recovery time Mm -hmm. and it's kind of the most taxing. How much will you, how do you program that? Like how many total reps will someone do in a session or would you recommend for someone like me? And I'm sure you're not doing that every day or no. Yeah. Okay. No, so what does that look no. like? Well, it's just, it really, it depends on the athlete. Yeah. Drew could know? probably do and, it every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's the thing is that for it to be as effective as it can be for someone like Drew or someone like Quinn or Sean or, you know, the other long list of strong kids that are out there, it's, they really, I mean, yes, they could do it every day, but it wouldn't be as effective okay. right? because, because the work that goes into a day like that is pretty significant. Mm. So it would maybe be two days a week. Okay. But of course the rest of the other days of the week, we're doing other stuff or they're doing other stuff. Right? Sure. But for, for that type of load, you know, it's, I, I'm for the longest time, a, a lot of the training that we've done, I base off of, uh, track and field training and like, you know, middle distance and, and that type of stuff, just cause I'm very familiar with that as well. Um, and it, man, I find that it translates like really well. Interesting. Um, so 
like a lot of the drills and a lot of the things that we do are based off of stuff that you would do at the track, just adapted to uh, climbing and in the gym. And it's, it's the same concept, at least it, for me, I look at it that way. And so it, it makes it uh, understandable because, uh, you know, I, I don't have a degree in sports physiology or anything like that. You know, it's not, you know, my, my education when it comes down to training is strictly from personal experience and um, working with the kids. That's and, you know, and, and, and tons of books, you know, of course that I've read, but let's be honest, I get halfway through, uh, I mean, I will be honest with you. I get halfway through a training book and sometimes it's way over my head uh-huh. and I'm just, I'm just like, Oh man, I don't know what that means. And I don't really have a concept of that because so, I'm a very visual learner, mm. right? Like, like YouTube has changed my world <laughs> Okay, right? because if you can go ahead and show me a book on how to pull the motor out of your Volkswagen and put a new one in, dude, it, t- it would like I wouldn't be able to do it, but you show me a YouTube video of it happening and I got that all day. <laughs> so that's why for me, most of my, most of my training education came from working with the kids right in front of me and testing things out on them. And then more to the point, testing it out on myself to make sure it was, it was, was going to work, uh, that type of thing. So, hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just sort of the idea is that e- for each athlete, it's different, right? They're, some kids in the when they're younger like i would actually circuit them man maybe three days a week maybe four days a week depending because the intensity level wouldn't be as high okay and we would be doing like someone like sean he would do maybe six sets eight sets in a two-hour period right wow so six to eight sets in a two-hour period and, you know, with warm up before that, of course, and then warm down after that. But, you know, and that's going to be at full max output, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, sometimes easier stuff, obviously, like easier ones, but, you know, and trying it, to failure. Yeah, trying to failure. And then if you fall, you get back on because ultimately it's just training anyway. It's not, again, it's not about sending the circuit, you know, that's not it. It's okay. like, you know, it's about keep, it's doing the, the work involved there that type of thing. So I, I think, you know, and the difference between a 25 move circuit and a 45 move circuit and the intensity level between each is, you know, that also plays in, that's a factor that, that mm. we, we deal with too. So, you know, it's going from straight power to power endurance and the climbing terms anyways, the, you know, the actual, you know, medical terms or, or whatever sports science terms, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but, you know, power, power endurance, and then just straight, endurance Mm -hmm. slash stamina you know it's like you can do all this on a spray wall so if anyone ever if anyone ever asks like what is you know the the number one thing that you need to train for climbing in my mind it's just a spray wall dude wow it's all you it's all you really need yeah it helps to you need to be on a rope and like i was talking about earlier and and get that feel but like training wise all you really need is spray wall man Hmm. Will you do a mix of different circuit lengths in a given day or will you focus on like one kind of intensity zone for a given uh, session? We'll, we'll do different ones and okay. it's depending on the day, depending on the day. Some, some days are, yeah, we'll do a 25, we'll do a 35 and a 45 or whatever it may be. You okay. know, som- sometimes it's even 15, right? And 15 at the level being, if you, let's say V7 is your max, you know, the level being V7, 
Just a right? long V7 yeah. boulder. Yeah, long V7. And then when we start putting it into the 25, you know, maybe it's V6, you know, and then if it's 35, maybe it's V6, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know it just, just, just sort of depends on, on the day. And, okay. you know, because we're around the kids so much and we're, you know, it's, we run practice Monday through Friday and most of the year. I like to think, and, and I know they would agree that we're really in tune with, with each one of the athletes. So we know what they're doing last month and this month and more to the point, like we recognize who they are that day. Hmm. You know, it's like they come in, they're not feeling it or they're coming in, they're on fire that day. And it's like, okay, cool. We're going to go ahead and we're going to do this. And, you know, uh, so-and-so is having a bad one on this, on this particular set. So let's dial this back. It's never just blanket. You're doing this Hmm. unless we're, unless we're doing the repetition and, and sort of the mileage, the mileage build, you know, that type of thing. Um, okay. We have certain drills for that where it's like, yeah, we tell them to do this and I can go take a nap. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't, but, yeah. you know, it's, but they're going to execute and it, it doesn't really matter how they do the drill because it doesn't require, you know, instruction. It doesn't require correction. It's not like that. It's just about repetition and mileage on the wall, that type of thing. Mm. I want to back up a second and ask you a question back to the traversing thing. Mm-hmm. Climbing gyms have changed a lot and... A lot of climbing gyms don't have the density to really be able to just make up a traverse circuit anymore. Totally. Um, I had Nathan Hadley on the show. He's a root setter at Seattle Bouldering Project. I, I'm very familiar with him. Okay. Yeah. 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 He he's really awesome. likes these. He's awesome. He really likes these Fontainebleau style circuits that they have mm-hmm. set up. Yeah. And for his easy mileage, he'll just literally pick like 50 boulder problems, you know, V0 to V3 or 4 or whatever his the the top end of his easy is and he'll just run those and i was curious you know for someone that doesn't have a traverse wall or a spray wall in their gym and they just have like a more commercial style bouldering gym do you think that sort of approach would provide the same benefit that you're talking about with the traversing um it provides a very similar benefit okay um for sure i feel uh i mean i do that as well the same thing nathan's doing like i go into boulder project and i'll do like the entire blue and well not their blue their blues are like v13 but the uh (laughs) they say they're v6 you guys are lying i know you're lying but uh anyway i'll go in and i'll do like you know the the entire green and the entire red circuit or whatever you know that that type of thing in, in a day and i and i feel like that's very beneficial as well Okay. Um, that, that can provide a very similar, uh, similar style of training. I am also a very true believer that it's pretty important to be able to get time in where you don't get the rests because mm. what you're, what you're trying to do, if you're familiar and a lot of people are familiar with arc training, where you're trying to create a certain type of pump, mm-hmm. you're trying to create you know, a certain level and holding it there so that your, you know, your veins are filling up, your forearms are filling up and they're staying there, yet you're still able to perform while they're filled up at, at that point for, with the, you know, the lactate or whatever. And even when, like, let's say you're in the gym running laps on a, on a rope route, even that lowering time, mm. right, is like, you know, it's not the end of the world by any means. 
but I feel like it's, it's important to still do those. Cause we, you know, we do those bunch up and lower, up and lower, up and lower, up and lower those types, those types of laps. But we also have a certain percentage of the season where we'll do up and downs okay. to keep, to keep that pump, to keep, you know, the forearms engaged. And it's usually at a lower intensity level, mm-hmm. you know, and then as, as they adapt, you know, we, we ramp it up and let's just say that, you know, it, they're starting at five twelve and they're, they're doing that and shoot, man, after a month of doing certain sets of that, uh, you know, or X amount of sets of that next thing, you know, they're doing on five thirteen. So, oh, man. <laughs> you know, it's, they all, it, what we try and do is we, we, you know, we used to do it where I do very specific periodized schedules, uh, for, uh, each season. And for a lot of the young, uh, younger kids or newer kids, we do that as well To We still do that to build the base that we would like them to get. Um, but for our athletes that have been, been with us for, you know, a handful of years or whatever, they've been training a long time. They have a great base. We're going to mix it up in a week and they're going to do like, you know, five different concepts uh, of, of training, uh, you know, that should hit on all of the things because of the way the comp schedule works out. Like, you know, even if we're in the middle of rope season, especially the way roots are set now, man, you're going to have to be able to still have boulder power. You know, you're still going to have to be able to, you know, execute, you know, I mean, nationals there's you know v8 moves v7 moves you know at the top of these routes v8 hmm. moves you know a lot in, in the you know female boys and girls category at the in the older categories you know those routes are all 514 so hmm. you know it's they need to be able to you know maintain a certain level so we don't just we'll go through an initial stamina phase after boulder season but then we start working more into the power endurance power stamina mix Okay. Throughout the week, that type of thing, you know, whether or not that's the best thing or not, you know, you know, I, I truly think that in the next 10 years, like when more science gets involved in competition climbing and, and climbing performance, I think things are going to change quite a bit. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know if it would be like this, but you know, there would be like, okay, cool. You only need to train this, this, and this, this week for 37 minutes a day. Uh-huh. And then you threw a couple of these things in there and then that's the optimal training, right? Which I, I'm not saying that's what it would be, but I think honestly, science and, and, you know, medicine and sports medicine is, is going to take off, you know, with everything that's getting thrown in there. And especially because of the Olympics, like what mm-hmm. they're, go- what they're going to be developing in climbing training is, is something I'm excited for, for sure. And, you know, first things first, I'm going to hire the person who's going to know the most about that because <laughs> it's not going to be me. You know? <laughs> I, I, I know my lane, you know, and I'll stay in there for sure. But I, I can't wait to hire the person that knows all about that stuff. Awesome. <laughs> really quick question. How long do you like to stay on the wall for when you're traversing? Uh, for like arc sets, I yeah. ge- generally it's like a 20 to 30, 40 minute max. You know, it's like, okay. I, I, for me personally, I never liked to go more than 30 minutes. Um, okay. I've had, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you, you get injured and really the only thing you can do is, is arc training. And man, I'll, I'll, a lot of the time I would come back from injuries better than I was before because I actually took the time to mm. do you know the, like we were talking about earlier patience is the key when it comes down to training and there's no there's really no instant gains uh, I mean there can be I guess but you know it's it's for the most part you got to have the patience to put the time in and I'm working with a client now he's a he's you know in his 20s and he's not newer to climbing by any means but he's 
you know, I don't work with adults that much. And usually I just, it, it's not as interesting to me for no offense to adults or anything like that, but it's just so consumed by the kids. I find it a lot more interesting, but he, first thing he said to me he, is he, he said, I got all the time in the world and I'll do whatever you want. That's, <laughs> that's a great client. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just like, Oh yes. <laughs> great. So what we're going to do for the next six weeks is this. And it's like absolutely terrible and it's just boring and not fun. But man, after that six weeks, the base is there and it's, you hmm. know, and then, then you stack on top of that and, you know, Anyways, he's a great client. He's he's seen a ton of great gains recently, and it's just it's really cool to see that's see awesome. it work. And, and that's I think maybe that's why I like working with the kids so much is because I personally see the gains way faster with the kids that working with adults who aren't taking the program one hundred and ten percent seriously. So of course it's me feeding my own ego. You know, it's like it's like yeah, dude, with the kids it works real well. These adults are lame. It's like. No, it's just, it's just different. And I don't personally know if, or I don't know if I personally have the patience to work with people who don't have the schedules that the children do where their parents drop them off four days a week. And they're, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yo, my kids were up all night. I'm not gonna be able to make it in today. Okay, bud. Cool. See how that works out for you. <laughs> that type of thing. How important is it for the, for the like optimal, building of your athletes to have this mix of ropes and bouldering it's built into the competition world to have yeah. seasons of bouldering and ropes but yeah if you were just trying to shape the best possible rock climber how important is that balance would you stick with that um my personal perspective on that is yes okay i i would for sure but i also feel and to explain that it's i feel like the best boulders out there also should have and do have a pretty good understanding of ropes mm -hmm. and vice and vice versa. And in my mind, it's real important to be a well-rounded climbing athlete. If you want to climb B 16 and if you want to climb five you've got to be a well-rounded climbing athlete because it's at the highest level, right? Um, if you're just trying to climb five thirteen. Okay, sure. Boulder a couple days a week. No problem. You know, that's fine. You know, you're going to need you. If someone's trying to hit certain climbing, uh, rope climbing goals and they come to me, first thing I ask them is like, how, how much bouldering do you do? They're like, oh, I don't boulder at all. Okay, well, you should go boulder for a while. Hmm. And next thing you know, wow, that 512 felt super easy. It's like, yeah, because you just went from climbing V2 to V5. And of course, those moves are going to feel easier. Hmm. When you're climbing at the highest level, you know, when we're talking about 515s and, you know, uh, 14 15 16 boulders or, or whatever it's like you know you've got to have a pretty good understanding i think i mean v16 bouldering is like super limit power stuff you yeah know? but like you see the you know a lot of those boulders are over four moves yeah right? they're they're over five moves there so there's a certain certain stamina element power endurance element that is required and I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people that only boulder and that's cool too, man. Mm -hmm. I'm totally, I'm totally into it, but I think that also would, you know, you would end up, I mean, even Fred Nicole was a really spectacular rope climber at one point, mm. you know, for sure. And these guys that are known as just boulders, it's like they, it, for the most part, I mean, D woods, he climbs five fifteen, dude. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for sure. You know? And so it's one of those things I feel like it's, it's just good for you. 
you know, if you're in the middle of a boulder season, you know, should you go climb a bunch of ropes? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that remains to be seen, but I think in your off time, if you're strictly bouldering, I mean, you see how it is in the comps now is that all the, all the best sport climbers in, in IFSC also are real good in the boulder season now, mm-hmm. whereas five, five years ago, that was different, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, but you see that they're able to mix it now. And generally it's the boulders that became good rope climbers. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. cause of the, I think cause of the strength and I mean, there's more to it, but, but that's just the, the simple answer is like, well, they're stronger. So the moves are easier. <laughs> that, that's just sort of, you know, if you want to climb hard, hard rope routes, go boulder. <laughs> that's really, that's really it. So that's a great transition. I want to ask a couple patron questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting something new and I've, I've got some patrons supporting the show and oh, cool. a couple of them submitted questions for you. Oh, awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And one of them is really relevant to that. So Adriel Stokes, he wanted to know, he sees power endurance as his main limiting thing, his main weakness. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it sounds like he's trying to break into 512. And he was curious what kind of exercises he should focus on in his program. You know, four by four is a root lapse. And it sounds like we've answered that question, like your circuits on a spray wall. Sure, sure. Let me, yeah. And actually, I can get pretty specific about that when we're talking about, you know, the 512 grade. Um, you know, four by fours are great and, and running laps on ropes is great too. But what's really nice about circuits on a spray wall is that you can tailor it to exactly where you're at hmm. and what you're what you're going for, right? And let, you know, if you're in the boulder room and you have a circuit going, or there is a spray wall in your boulder room, and usually they'll put the spray wall on something that's kind of steep. You know, they it's not very often is the spray wall on a on a slab or on a on a vert wall or whatever where you're just not going to get that pump. You know, you you can do ten, you know, do limit ten move circuits and then you bump it up to 15 and then you do 20 and and you know to get to that 512 range it will actually go pretty quickly Hmm. you know if you're if you're already bouldering at a certain level but really the to be able to do it on a spray wall man it's i just i i would hope that he would see those gains really quickly you know, because four by fours are good, but like I talked about earlier, the, there's that rest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like even when you're coming off the wall, you're resting. So, and don't get me wrong, I blow out real hard on four by fours too. You know, everybody does. You know, if you do them right, you know, you get real tired, but there's still that rest in between. And the hard part for sport routes is that generally you're not blowing out right after the rest. Mm. You know, you're, bl- you're blowing out while you're trying to do that clip and your elbows sticking straight out, you know, or, or, you know, you can't pull through on the next move because you're in the middle of the movement. It's not because of, you know, you're coming off a rest or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that that's where the circuiting comes in and, and sort of allows you to tailor it to exactly your ability level. So that's what I would recommend. Probably at the 512 range, I would say, man, 25 to 35 move circuits of ones that you can do. Mm. right not not necessarily ones that you're blowing out or you know that you're falling three times on but ones that you can do okay ones yeah so like you would get maybe it would take a couple tries you know that type of thing and you know and those ones at the 512 range you can keep them all for feet because really it's just about being able to you know get blown out in your forearms and still climb hard okay because if you can't if you can't climb pumped man you can't climb hard (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's just sort of the reality of it yeah Awesome. That's super helpful. 
Cool. Um, I, I want to ask kind of my own question that's an extension of that. So I, I don't know Adriel personally, and I don't know his climbing, um, uh-huh. so I can't speak for him. But I do see quite often that a lot of climbers jump to the conclusion that it's power endurance that's limiting them. And I wonder what some of the other considerations might be that you would look at for, for someone mm. in that case. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, like we talked about earlier, efficiency and climate. Okay. For me, especially at, like at the 512 level. And I, again, I ha- like, like you just said, we haven't seen uh, this gentleman climb. But if 512 is the goal, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, 5, 511 is already fa- fairly within the bag and, and, and you know, pretty standard uh, execution. Uh, and I'm assuming, let's just say V3, V4, V5 is even already there. It, so, you know, being able to climb more efficiently, only pull when you need to straight arms, uh, most of the time, you know, working with different grip angles and, you know, something we, we work on quite a bit is being able to climb three fingered, um, you know, the, the middle three fingers there and leave the pinky off and, and don't engage the thumb, uh, if you're able to hold the holds with three fingers, I usually suggest doing that. Uh, unless it's a jug, obviously. Well, because what it's doing is it's leaving those other ones in a rest position. Okay. And it's, and it's not pumping uh, a certain certain set of muscles, right? So if you can, if you and I go to the hangboard, right, and we put just those three fingers on mm-hmm. and we hang, like it's pretty low effort. Right. Like when it when it comes down to it, you're going to get tired, of course. Right. But it's like when it comes down to engaging, Mm. you don't have to be as engaged. Okay, because because all three of those fingers are similar length and you're truly in an open position. That's right. You're hanging off your bones. I got it. And that the the easiest way to put that is is you're hanging off your bones. Uh And um, interesting when you throw the pinky on right? You're engaging more. It's more engaged. And I guess you're just, you're using more of the muscles. Sure. More muscular um, engagement. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I know, I, I know I sound super novice to like a bunch of the trainers out there who know the actual terminology for all this, but I guess what guys, I don't. No, um, no, but- this is, this is, you're like maybe changing my entire sport climbing paradigm right now. This awesome. Is, awesome. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're on track. We're on yeah. Track. I've It's funny because I've seen Drew do this for years, but I was always like, oh, yeah. he's so damn strong he doesn't even need all his fingers i didn't really i didn't realize why he was doing it yeah right it it really if you train it you will find that you'll be able to actually three finger most of the holds that you you, especially in sport climbing right in sport climbing because when we're talking about hard sport climbing like the holds generally are much bigger than hard boulders Mm -hmm. right so if you're you know even we will not use Smith Rock as an example. Uh, and, and <laughs> Fair enough. A- anywhere else in the world. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, right. I've seen Drew can, do this you, at Smith. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, you can do it at Smith. I mean, we all do it at Smith. But, but yeah, it really, it's like you're going to be able to train it and you're going you're gonna to find that, um, you know, when it comes time, you're mid root, and then you throw the pinky and even a crimp on, you're going to have significant power reserves for, to go back to my original, original point is only pull when you have to, hmm. if the rest of the time you're climbing off your bones, 
right? And you're and you're keeping an open hand with just three fingers. You're really just you're just engaging off your bones to, for the most part. You know, a, certain, uh, a much less percentage than if you had your pinky and your thumb on and you're crimping every hold going through it. You know what I mean? Well, I know when I'm fit is when I can three finger most of the stuff. When mm. I'm not when I'm not fit, I'm throwing crimps on everything. Interesting, right? So. But that's also because I've trained, you know, thousands and thousands of reps three fingered, Mm -hmm. just like most of our kids. And a lot of our kids actually start climbing three fingers and we have to teach them how to crimp. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) Because when you're young, like they're already the strength to weight ratio is so significant that they're just three fingering everything anyway. Yeah. And like throwing a crimp on there, like actually kind of hurts. Sure. You yeah. Know, it's it's like ah, oh, this hurts. So I'm just gonna three finger everything. But then, as you know, when you start getting down into a certain hold size, you know, when they're super tiny, like dude, you're gonna have to crimp these things. Mm-hmm. And and it's just another tool in the bag, really. And and for efficiency, when it comes down to sport roots, you know, what I would suggest to anyone who who's listening to this is go ahead and go on. Let's just say you're trying to climb five twelve go into the gym and start climbing a bunch of your 11 A's or your hard five tens and do it three fingered. You know, Hmm. if it's a total bucket jug, of course you're going to put all fingers on there. Right. But when we're talking about flat holds, when we're talking about flat, flat edges, you know, even up to, you know, two pad edges, you know, go ahead and three finger them, you know, but when we're dealing with single pad, you know, one pad, one and a half pad edges, you know, go ahead and three finger them and, and, you know, start incorporating that into your, uh, into your bag and you're going to, you're going to find that it's going to change up your efficiency quite a bit when it comes uh-huh. down to down sport routes. And you can even incorporate it into your, into your boulders too. Like for sure. Like I know that when I'm feeling strong and I'm three fingering holds on boulders and then the last move is something that I need to crimp on. Like hmm. I just, I, I feel like I executed better for sure. Wow. Have any of your athletes ended up with weak pinkies? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> I think I, it's mostly I don't, a joke. I, probably, probably not. But I mean, maybe. I know that we have we have certain kids like just seeing so many hands. You know, certain kids have like super short pinkies. Mm. So actually, Sean has super short pinkies, so he three fingers a lot of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I don't know if they're much weaker though. You've seen these kids' hands; they're yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. I want to move on to some other some other questions. So, sure. Alec Peterson asked a couple of good ones, and we uh-huh. we pretty much covered the first one. He wanted to know what your thoughts are on spray walls versus using distinct roots for for training. I assume, yeah. Um, and we kind of covered that, but he was curious if you use an app for the spray wall. I don't. Okay. I I personally don't. Um, I, I think if he's talking about like setting circuits and, yeah, and exactly. one, ones that are already made and stuff like that. Um, it's not cause I don't think they're cool or, or whatever. It's just that, you know, we're, we're adapting new things to the athletes every day in practice, mm-hmm. uh, different routes, different, you know, those types of things. So I'm also, I'm not that familiar with a lot of them. Just, it's not a concept that I've really played with. I know that some people would have or have, you know, for sure. But for our needs, I, ha- I haven't, I haven't used them, but that's also cause we're coaching. Right. And, and yeah. we're, ma- we're making stuff up and, or the kids can make stuff up, stuff up for each other. Uh, that type of thing. If you're, if you're on your own in the gym, dude, app all, app all you want, hmm. like for, for sure. I, I know like 
you know, the moon board and, and those types of things, all those boards that are out there right now and, and, you know, the apps involved with those do, they're super beneficial and super fun and, you know, super engaging. I think it's, I think it's a cool thing to cool thing to use, but for what we're doing in the gym on a spray wall, we're not really using it. I know the kids are making up boulders and putting them on, you know, stoked and whatever those, okay. you know, the, uh, a few of the ones they're they're doing that, Okay. you know, f- for sure. But, you know, I, in a practice setting, we're not really using it. Do you ever tape circuits to save for training yeah. purposes? Yeah, we do for sure. Okay. So you tape um, them. Uh, not always. Okay. Uh, sometimes like what we'll do a lot of the time is we'll put up X amount of them. And a lot of the time that's just for the members too. Okay. Right. Is what we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll throw up, let's just say five circuits with tape. And, you know, it, it's actually kind of easier for when we're in a base building phase for the kids, um, or the adults or whoever, you know, it's like, okay, cool. So we've got these ones We're really just working on base. We're not working on, uh, on-site execution or, you know, uh, whatever it may be. We're not working on limit power endurance stuff. So it's fine to get on the five twelve circuit, mm-hmm. you know, and run that lap a few times, that type of thing. When it really just comes down to busy work and stamina, uh, building or base building, like th- that's when we would, we would use those types of things. Um, okay. but it's always that, you know, we're also, we're also, you know, climbers. So we always got to have a prod, right. And, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, Oh dude, I got the, I got the green circuit, man. It finally, <laughs> that type of thing. So we have that, but in the middle of the spray wall too, because it's a spray wall and it's so versatile, we will of course make up a bunch of things in the same week that we would have them running, uh, taped circuits. Okay. Do you number the holds? Do you like write the number on the tape or anything? Uh, it depends. I mean, for sure, it would. Sometimes we do it. We do it in a couple different ways. Where we would do it with, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, sometimes we do one L, two R. Oh wow. Three, three L R. You know that type of thing, so that you know you're only able to use this one with your left. If it's L R, then it's match. If you know that type of thing, sometimes we'll go you know, four R five R meaning it's a bump, Mm. you know, that type of thing to set them up for certain types of moves. Okay. Um, So it just sort of depends. Interesting. But those are, those are different, different ideas for the spray wall. Okay. Uh, Another question from Alec. What was it like competing before competition climbing was popular? (laughs) (laughs) Man, (laughs) it was, it was awesome. (laughs) It was really, it, it was cool, man. It was, yeah? it was super grassroots. It was just, you know, it was like we had our local comps here in Seattle at, at the vertical club, which is now vertical world. Um, you know, and they were called the spring jam and they were just little red point bouldering comps, that type of thing. Um, I also went to Canada a bit with my climbing partner and good friend, uh, Craig Hadley, who was closer to my age and, he and I would go to Canada and compete on on-site routes up there. We also, my dad took me down to California quite a bit for some bigger events. You know, there was like sport climbing championships, Southern California type of thing. And like in the early nineties, um, the biggest thing that I would say about it is that the youth categories were just kind of, it used to only really be 14 and under. Hmm is what the youth category was. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> and I can, I can sort of say that the, one of the main reasons I lost interest when I was like 16, you know, to, in competition climbing was because I was in the adult category mm. and the, the adults were gnarly, dude. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, a kid in high school and hadn't really hit my power 
gains at the time. And, and at that time in the early nineties, that's just when, uh, international competition for youth started happening. I think the first youth world champs was in 93 and like kind of the year before I just kind of started burning out. And, but you know, that being said, it was much smaller. Like you would go to a comp and there was like 25 people competing, (laughs) you know, that type of thing. Whereas now any youth event has over 200 kids at the local man. You know, so it was fun though. It was, it was super awesome. I had a great time and, you know, but at the time I was competing in other things too. And I don't know, I miss those days, man. I miss, I miss old school sport climbing and, and what, what it was. But, you know, that being said, it was like, if you climbed 13A, you were, you were a real hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I could go so, back in time. <laughs> bro, tell me about it. Like I, I would still be somebody to talk about. <laughs> well, you are, oh, but for, di- for different reasons. Different, yeah, different reasons. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, this is a question from Drew Ruana. I reached out to him as well. <laughs> oh my god! I uh, I have to ask about the shirts. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yes, I do. I want <laughs> perfect. I want to ask about the shirts and maybe I don't know what how how the shirts came to be or what was the latest shirt. I'd just love to hear about the shirts. Sure. I I, I assume <laughs> he's talking about the. Um, I get these shirts made right with world cup competition athletes on them. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll like, I'll take a picture, I'll steal it from the internet or, or generally I actually reach out to circuit climbing and, and Eddie who does all the IFSC uh, pictures. I usually take one of his pictures cause they're the, the easiest to find and usually the best uh, ones that I can get. And then I'll get them printed on a shirt. And initially I got a Sean Bailey shirt made. You know, and then I, and then I had Drew, Drew and a shirts made and, and, and this you know, is just for, for you, right? Well, there, so there's, there's a few reasons. One, of course, because, you know, it's just for me and I want to support our guys and I think it's cool and, and whatever. And, you know, it's kind of corny, but you know, like, you know, like you see, no, it's great. you see moms with pictures of their kids on their shirt, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Or pictures <laughs> of their, of their dog, you know, on their shirt. Well, that, that's me, but Um, (laughs) but with them, you know, what, one thing that we have going on at, at climbing team is that we have a bunch of really top level athletes, which we're super lucky to have. And with that, what that does is that, that makes it kind of the norm for the younger kids, Hmm. right? The young, the younger kids are like, those guys are on my team. Sean Bailey is on my team. He was there at practice the other day. Drew Rana is on my team. Right. These are and because they're very familiar with these guys and they see them on, uh, you know, on the on the internets and the, and they follow them on Instagram and they do these types of things, you know, and then here they are at practice giving them tips and that type of thing. What, it, what it's doing is it's creating uh, a sense of normalcy for greatness. Right. Mm. Where where it's like, hey, man, you can be that guy, too. I'm going to tell you right now, l- little Gabriel, you are way better than Sean was at your age you know, that type of thing. And they're just like, what? No way. Okay, cool, man. I'm going to get after it. And they, and they start working real hard, you know, Hmm. towards those goals. It also just sort of helps, you know, create a sense of normalcy of these dudes, you know, these guys, they're just, and these gals, they're just like you, Hmm. they're just like them. And, uh, and they started right where you were, you know, they're sitting right on this bench, taking instruction from their coaches, just like they were, you know, that type of thing. Um, So I also, 
started then after I got our, you know, our, our home team guys, I started getting ones of, you know, like Tomoa and, and Ikeo and, uh, you know, Adam Andra and Sharma and, you know, the, the list I've got close to 20 of these things made of all, of all these, <laughs> of all these climbers and what we do. Uh, and I did this more last season. This season was a, was a little bit different, but last season, what we did was, you know, we would send out homework every single week to the kids and it's mostly for the younger kids. I don't expect the older kids to do it. Right. But you know, when you were younger, you had probably some sports heroes, right. And the same way that when I was younger, I had some sports heroes and you would, you would have pictures of these dudes in your room, you know, like Michael Jordan, or, or in my case, you know, dating myself, of course, but you know, it's like you, these, you had these sports heroes. So who, but in this day and age, like competition climbing is such a thing. And these kids like, I'd say even five to 10 years ago, like the only climber they really knew was Chris Sharma, hmm. right? They didn't know the rest of the dudes or the gals out there that were doing this stuff because it's not an everyday thing, right? Hmm. And now, now with social media and now with, uh, uh, you know, they have the ability to get this type of information and this type of hype on these people. So what I would do is I get these shirts made and I send out homework every week and I, and I say, okay, so this is the athlete that you guys are studying this week. <laughs> right. And let's just say it was, uh, you know, Jakob Schubert or whatever. And I would send it out on Friday and then by Monday we would sit them all down and I'd be like, okay, cool. And I would take my sweatshirt off and there's, you know, a picture of, of Jakob. And I'll be like, who can tell me who this is? And everyone's like, oh, you know, Jakob Schubert or whatever. Okay, tell me, <laughs> tell me something about Jakob. Well, he won, you know, Youth World Championships in 2005. And he did this. And he was the, you know, had, you know, uh, was the only person to win 11 straight World Cups or whatever it was. You know, they start rattling off all this info, right? <laughs> and, and, and that type of thing. And it just sort of creates this, this, I don't want to say hero complex, you know what I mean? But it gives, it gives people to look towards and, it, hmm. and, and like, these are, these are cool athletes that I aspire to be like those types of things. And then it gives them a little bit of investment into that athlete because, uh, and the concept of high level athleticism so that they can as well start looking at themselves like that. Right. And when you have a 10 year old or an 11 year old and they're just starting to understand, you know, how things work with the, with their, you know, their physical abilities and their mental abilities, a lot of them don't really know what it's like to work hard yet. Hmm. Right. They don't, they don't have that feeling. They think, Oh, I'm hurt, but really they just are pumped. Right. They're, you know, they're like hard work sometimes equals pain, not pain. Like I'm injured type of thing, but they just don't have a, have a concept of what it means to, uh, really put 110% in. So then they start understanding what these athletes are like and what they're doing. And we send out YouTube videos of Jakob doing 9,000 laps and, you know, working real hard and then winning the championship, those types of things. It just sort of creates this thing for them and it gives them an idea it gives them an understanding and and sort of a an investment into those athletes and the concept of of high level athleticism but also making it very normal for them so they know that if they work hard they can get there too it's it's just sort of an i don't know why i did it initially but then it's <laughs> then it started then it started really making sense and we started using it as a tool for the kids um that's awesome to, to have a have a I don't know. And like when I was a kid, he used to wear, you know, in skateboarding, we would wear, you know, skateboard shirts. And so now I'm out there wearing climbing shirts with these dudes on it. And, and the kids are like, yo, oh, you got that shirt. And, you know, it's funny when, you know, I'll be in the gym 
wearing a Sean Bailey shirt with Sean Bailey. And, <laughs> and you know, the, and the kids are like, Oh, that's so cool. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like Sean comes and he take he, he is numerous times handed his, you know, he comes to the gym and brings his world cup bibs. Right. Oh, you know, like the, yeah. and, and he'll give them to an unsuspecting toddler, you know, who is just like <laughs> so excited, you know, that, that he got that, you know, when Drew's around, it's the same thing. And, and, you know, our other athletes that are moving in that same direction, you know, and whether it's five years from now or two years from now or whatever, you know, it's going to be that same idea, you know, where we, we have this thing at vertical world climbing team that that just continues and continues and continues and the concepts are there the methodology is there and by the time i'm able to retire and hand it off to the to all the young ones that are there doing the thing you know the same idea is there and maybe it changes you know that's not i'm not holding dear to any you know specific concepts it's not like that but but it is still the same thing that it's always been is that it's vertical world climbing team and it's and it's family and and we all do this for a reason and it sure as heck isn't winning championships you know hmm. that's nice too though <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's happened a few times but it, it's it's not why we do it you know so cool tyson i always ask all my guests what is something that they've been especially grateful for lately and based on what i've listened to with you i know that you're going to say your wife yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you gush about her a little bit, but I wanted to ask a more specific question. I, I sure. thought it'd be fun to ask, what is something specific about your wife that you have been most grateful for lately? Mm. Lately, man, I'll tell you my wife this whole time. So I've been, you know, as, as many of us in the, in the gym industry, uh, climbing industry, we've been laid off for quite some time now going on you know, it's been over four months. My wife has been working the whole time. She's in a, in a field that allows her to continue to work and, uh, she's been working from home. And so we've been able to spend time together every single day hmm. and, uh, she cooks dinner every single night and we get to go to the lake and, you know, have picnics and, and do those types of things. Um, when I'm running practice, you know, Monday through Friday and I don't get home until nine o'clock at night, uh, for the last however many years um you just sort of forget how nice that is hmm. and you know i've heard a lot of people say covid has confirmed that they married the right person or the wrong person <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, a real pressure cooker time yeah, right that's now <laughs> right that's right uh i i'm very fortunate to have someone that i am thankful to spend every single day with and uh this has been, it's been actually a very special time. And, you know, she keeps my head up and, and, you know, when I'm just like, God, I'm never going back to work. This is going to be a struggle, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, you know, she helps keep my head up and she keeps a very positive attitude when, when I'm like in a dark place, she brings me back every single day. And usually it's just like, Hey, don't worry. We got this. Here's your mm. dinner. <laughs> you know, it's, it's awesome. dude. It's awesome. She comes from a big family that, that, uh, you know, they're very big on cooking. So that's how that is. So it's, you know, her thing. Hmm. I don't make her, I don't make her cook. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not like that, but <laughs> she enjoys it quite a bit. So. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Oh yeah. Well, where can people connect with you if they want to reach out? Um, you know, I, I've, I've always said this, uh, it, 
is my door is wide open. You know, when it, when it comes down to coaching concepts and so like, I really like talking to coaches, if coaches, there's a lot of, I, I was fortunate enough to start doing this at a time when a lot of people weren't really doing it. And so, you know, we learned sort of trial by fire type thing. There's a, there's a handful of us that were around in the early, early two thousands and, and are still doing it. And, you know, we learned from each other and, and then we learned from ourselves too. And, you know, however, for the last, you know, close to 20 years, it, it's, there's a lot of young folks that are, that are getting excited about coaching. And I've always said that my door is open. So if you're excited about coaching and you have some ideas or, or concepts that you want to run by me, please feel free. Uh, it, I don't necessarily have all the right answers by any means, but I for sure have opinions. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you can reach me at Tyson at verticalworld.com. Uh, that's usually, usually the easiest, but of course I'm on I'm on Instagram and uh, just under my name. It is a private account, so you got to request me because I don't like that spam bot world. Mm. But but uh, yeah, just go ahead and request me and ask away, man. You can you can hear me talk some more. Awesome. I'll uh, I'll, yeah. I'll link to those things in the show notes. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll put your email in there for people. Yeah, that'd be great as well. Tyson, you've been so generous with your time. I, I do think it'd be really fun to leave people with. With one more thing, I meant to ask mm-hmm. this earlier and, and we got away from it, but going back to, you know, some of the stuff that you've learned and how that can apply to us adults and, and the listeners, I was listening to you talk about some of the drills that you do and how you've kind of distilled your program down and there's just a handful of drills that are your go-tos that all of your kids do, that your eight-year-olds sure. do right next to your drew ruana who's you know they're they're scaling it to their abilities but they're doing the same drills yeah i was wondering if you'd be able to share one or two of those for for listeners to think about one that you had mentioned was the heel hook one and i thought that'd be a really fun one to share and then you know maybe another one that comes to mind sure sure so specifically the heel hook one it's just a it's a very simple concept and you know, all, all the things I do, like, like I mentioned, the things that we all do and, and, you know, even my coaches now who make up drills, you know, on the spot, it's all very simple concept stuff uh, that is easy to execute. And the heel hook one is you just rock climb, you know, certain boulders or just traverse or whatever using your heels only. And for we, we do that. Uh, a lot of time is busy work, but also for the younger kids who are just learning how to engage their heels, right? Cause there's a right way and a wrong way to engage your heels. And the, what's the best way to do that? You just do it over and over and over and over again. And that once again is the repetition concept, dude, it doesn't feel right. And it doesn't look right. <laughs> and it's, you know, it, it's pretty hard to do you know, on certain types of holds, but next thing you know, you're pretty good at heel hooking <laughs> really small holds. And as you know, when you boulder at a very, at a certain level, the handholds become unholdable without heels <laughs> or without certain toe hooks or, or whatever it may be. So it just throws another, another tool in the bag. Um, so you're for, going for up the a, heels only. You're going up a boulder problem, but just placing your heel on all the normal footholds. Correct. And are you doing that with both heels in the Uh same go or focusing on the right and then the left or? Uh, Generally, it's both, both heels. Okay. Heels 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 only. only. Yeah. Heels only. Man, that sounds hard. (laughs) 
Well, you know what? If you go in like, go, but you dial it down, right? Yeah. Let's say, let's say you're a V6 boulder, you would go ahead and dial it down to V3 just to get a get a feel for it, and okay. then you th- then you move up to V4, or V5, or V6, or like, yo, I just sometimes we'll go in and the kids will be like, yo, I just did heels only on that boulder. And it's like <laughs> it's it's like yo, that's gnarly. Like you know, it just it throws something else in there because again, when you're indoors, it's never about sending the 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 white proj. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's like it is, but it isn't. It's like, okay, cool, man. We're going to take that down tomorrow. It really doesn't matter. It's <laughs> it's it's about the training, right? So that's just sort of – it just throws another thing in there, uh, another, you know, variable. And, but at the same time, it does teach something. Um, and that sort of brings up into this next drill that what we call fives, where it's five drills per boulder problem. Hmm. for for five boulders right so it's it's kind of a power endurance thing but really it's more of a a technique thing and to be fair it's a full blowout thing too so you pick whatever type of drills you want let's say here's here's a boulder and you and i are at the wall and i'm looking at the boulder and it's a it's an orange one and it's you know v6 or whatever and the first drill is lock off drill so you go through the boulder and you do it fully locked off uh each move you lock it off at 90 degrees hold it for three seconds and then complete the move Mm. that's one drill then the next drill is let's these are all examples that you can put whatever type of drills you want in there just as an idea how okay guys we're doing we're doing this five these are the drills you're doing and they they all because they they hear it all the time they know what drills you know when i yell the drills out they know and they know there's five of them that's what they're doing so the second drill for example let's just say would be the one arm drill so you do you do the same boulder the yellow or the orange b what did i say b3 the orange b3 or whatever (laughs) and you do it one arm so that means you do a full one arm pull on that hold with your feet on obviously or if you can do it without good for you but you do it, you know, one arm pull and then you do the next move and then you do a one arm pull again and then uh, disengage. And then the next move, you do a one arm pull and that type of thing. Uh, then the next drill, for example, will do left foot drill. And what that means is that you will do that boulder problem, that same boulder problem with your left foot only. You cannot use your right foot. You only use your left foot and then right foot. So then you do that same boulder problem, right foot only. And then one more would be uh, we do drop pulls, which on each move, you'll you'll do the move, cut both your feet and do a pull up on the holds and then do, <laughs> put your feet back on, hit the hold or do the next move, cut your feet again, do a pull up on it. Oh, that's that cool. I like that one. Yeah. So it's what it's doing is it's giving you obviously you're getting tired, right? But it's also giving a whole bunch of uh, different variables to the type of climbing that you do that you're doing uh, on the same boulder problem. And you know, for example, when you're doing a right foot or a left foot drill, if you're climbing a boulder problem with only your right foot, what that what's that doing for you? One, it's teaching you uh, different types of positioning, like awkward positioning. Because mm. let's let's be straight, when you're if you always just had your feet under you, everything would be five eleven. Right. 
or whatever. Mm -hmm. So in competition, a lot of the time, you know, just being a setter and knowing how setters think too. Okay. We're going to put the foot. Here's where the foot needs to be. We're going to go ahead and put it five inches up and to the right. Mm. So that that creates a different type of positioning and it's awkward by giving them and makes the move harder or achieves the difficulty that they're looking for. When you are doing it only with your right foot, that just creates a whole bunch of different types of positioning different from the way the boulder problem was set. You know, it teaches you to flag differently. It teaches you inside flags. It teaches you, you know, a whole bunch of technical stuff or or techniques while executing, uh, you know, stamina drill or even, you know, power movement or whatever. It's like that drill in itself, like the five, basically hits on all the aspects of climbing that you really need. (laughs) And so we do, we, I mean, dude, we've been running that drill for 10 years and it is so boring. And when I call it out, everyone's like, Oh God, you know, (laughs) but to be fair, like it, you know, there's no reason not to run it. Hmm. And so what I, so I just listed off five boulders or five, five drills to you on one boulder. Mm -hmm. And then you get, then you go, let's say we go to the black V six and then you do the same five drills Mm. on that, that boulder and you do five of them. And sometimes we'll just say, Hey, you're only doing two sets of a five. Right. So mm. that way, that way they're just doing two sets. It depends on, it depends on what we're doing. So, okay. but that's, those are a couple of drills right there that we use fairly regularly. And, you know, we use it on eight year olds and nine year olds all the way up to, you know, Drew and Sean will still run those uh, when they come home and, and they do training sets in the gym because it's, it's just a general sort of go-to for getting blown out. You know, they're doing it on V10, Right. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's like, you know, it, it, it definitely it gets the same the same idea for them as it does for a nine or a 10 year old. You know, and when you have a big team, that's the biggest thing. You have a, a bunch of kids in the room. You've got to be able to run drills that work for everybody. Hmm. You know, we, we have a lot of you know, we do a lot of individual stuff. But when you have 12 kids that are all in and around a certain ability level or even if they're not, even if they're way off, we got some, you know, we got some elite national champions working in the same area as, you know, our our mediums, you know, who make it to the divisional, they can all still run the same drills and get the same effects because we tailor it to their ability. Hmm. That is awesome. Yeah, it's cool. With those, uh, with that example of five drills that you gave, what's like a ballpark difficulty to shoot for? Like the, like your flash grade or how do you think about that? I, I often, it'll be like your flash grade. Okay. I think, I think, but once you get more comfortable with the drill and you train it, like, I mean, you can, man, it, to be fair, like a lot of the drills that we will do in that five, like when you're at limit bouldering, it's like real hard to lock off. Right. Mm-hmm. Or it's re- real hard to drop one arm and just do a full one arm on, uh, you know, maxed out side cling, yeah. you know, that's like <laughs> totally. way over there. But, you know, so sometimes it just doesn't work on certain boulders, uh-huh. you know? So if a certain drill isn't working on a certain boulder, then obviously we adapt it to, or we'll have them throw on a couple extra feet, mm. you know, like, okay, okay throw, 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 do this one all for feet for that particular drill. Cause otherwise it's not going to work. Mm. And these are, these are all things that we throw in on a daily basis. So the kids are all very adaptable to that too. You know, that, imagine if you started on vertical world climbing team or any climbing team these days for that matter at the age of seven by the time you're 19 years old you've done thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of training 
or climbing and thousands of different drills and different types of drills and all those types of things, man, you have a real good understanding of training for climbing. Hmm. And, uh, you know, most of our kids, uh, to get back to what we were talking about earlier, most of our kids, I could throw them in a coaching position and they would know exactly what they're doing. Hmm. You know, they, ju they just have to learn about the leadership aspects and, and you know, uh, those types of things. I mean, if there's one thing I, I wished I had focused on earlier in, in my life and my career was was just learning, reading more about uh, leadership and, hmm. and how to lead better and leadership concepts because it's all actually fairly simple and um but unless you're aware of it, it it's harder to do and I, I like to like to think that i've learned a lot of that over the years but i wish i had learned it earlier and uh been able to emotionally detach at an earlier age hmm. um, like in your 20s sometimes you're kind of you're still kind of hot you know what i mean you're still like emotionally attached to things and and uh I think, you know, true leadership comes from being able to detach uh, from the situation so that you can make a better call or, or whatever it is. And hmm. those types of things I wish I had, I had learned earlier. But a lot, a lot of our kids are, are, you know, they're learning that early. So hmm. that's, I think, because we talk about it a lot in practice. So it's pretty cool. It makes me think of your comment to your coaches. Like sometimes 12 year olds are going to say terrible things to you. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Yeah, totally. Just, and I, I yeah. think that actually, actually that, that is a good point because it, because really it's like, if you're, let's just say you're a 17 year old coach and you know, a 12 year old says something pretty terrible. If you freak out on them and, and, you know, get all emotional about it towards them or think that they're a bad person as a 12 year old, because they said something stupid, I mean, that can be said all the way through, <laughs> you know, to, to older people too, but you're going you're gonna to be, you're going to be less effective as a coach. If you can't, mm. if you get emotionally bummed on what the 11 year old or the 12 year old says, what it is, is it's an opportunity for you to correct them and, and guide them through that situation. And maybe don't say those dumb things because, or whatever it is, you know, our little Susie hurt, uh, little Jimmy the other day because she said this or vice versa it's usually you know the boys to be honest that are saying dumb stuff but you know it's it's an opportunity for us to go ahead and head and help them through that so hmm. you know they i i say this a lot to them i say i'll never be mad at you but i'm always going to call you on it <laughs> and I, I i truly believe that and you know it's pretty hard to hurt my feelings if you're a child you hmm. know because i was there too <laughs> Tyson, this has been so great. No, that's cool. <laughs> it's, Steven, it's, I, I appreciate it. Man. Yeah, it's been so awesome to uh, to see a little piece of what you've built just through knowing Drew and seeing mm -hmm. his accomplishments. And, and also, you know, it speaks to what you were just talking about to meet Drew and, and to also notice that he's got such a good head on his shoulders. He's such a good kid. You know, his yeah, accomplishments sweet. haven't gone to his head at all. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you... You've obviously been such a uh, played a massive role in shaping who he is, and it sounds like you've done that for more kids than than you can count. And yeah, <laughs> I've been I've been lucky, man. I've been lucky <laughs> and and super super fortunate to be given the opportunity. And and uh, I just I say this every time, and I'll always say this. I'm just so incredibly proud of who they've all become, and hmm. and it it's it does. It, it, I think it says a lot about honestly who they are man and their willingness to be 
those people that they can always, you know, that you always dream of being, man. Like, no one, uh, there are people out there that dream of being jerks and people out there that dream of being bad people, man, or, or doing the wrong thing. But, you know, these, these kids are, are working towards bettering themselves at all times. And, and, uh, I'm just, I'm just incredibly proud of them, man. And, and in this day and age and, and with what's going on, you know, it's like, it's that I think that's why this past few months has been pretty hard because we haven't been able to be there with them and for them and learning together about, you know, what's going on in the world and, and society and, and, uh, you know, moving forward, vertical climbing team is, is uh, you know, our main focus has always been competition climbing, but, you know, we're, we're going to be focusing on a, on a lot of other things, uh, moving forward and, hmm. and just trying to help better the climbing community and, and, uh, uh, you know, as a whole and, and giving these kids the opportunity to figure out what that means and how they can become a better people for society and, and, uh, call out the BS when they see it, man. That's, a uh, that's something we're going to be working on quite a bit, man. So hmm. awesome. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate the time. I appreciate you getting a hold of me and, and giving me the opportunity to talk. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Absolutely. And, and you've been so generous with your time. And this has been an amazing conversation. I think people are going to have a lot to take away from this. So cool. So thank you. Cool. Yeah, of course. Reach out anytime. All right. Awesome. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Take care, Tyson. Right. Thank you. Okay. Bye.